0: Hello. Three, two. This is Spotlight on the com. I'm Bero.
1: I'm Joe. And I'm JP.
0: And it seems like absolutely ages since we've done a podcast, guys. It's only been two weeks, but I almost forgot the intro then.
1: I know. What's happening to you, mate? I think, <laughs> I
0: think
1: it's a period of illness, isn't it?
0: Yeah, that's it. I've been dying. You've been dying as well, haven't you, Joe? Um, part of the reason why it's been a, a couple of weeks when we We've been planning to do a podcast, but it keeps getting pushed back. Real life stuff getting in the way. You uh, fully recovered now, Joe? Uh, I
2: don't know about fully, but I feel a bit better. Getting there. Good stuff.
0: Good stuff. I've been like kind of like I had like a some kind of virus, and I feel okay now. Like you know the, the winter bug that's going round. It's kind of the standard stuff, isn't it, this time of year? But I've got absolutely like since I felt better, I've had no appetite. And I've been eating like the weirdest things. Like when, when I do feel hungry, like I, I again it feels very I don't know generic to say, it, but I did have a vegan sausage roll from Greg's. Oh, be part of part of the the ongoing news stories and the and the current news cycle, that's been hot news. You'll be using Stay Gillette away. razors next. <laughs> that's it yeah i've been in all kinds of vegan food this week i don't know why i just don't fancy anything else so yeah if i feel uh, low on energy maybe it's the uh, the lack of protein i went
2: to buy a vegan sausage roll from greg's last week and the greg's next door to where i work
1: is not stocking them uh, that's a very oxfordshire thing to do
0: isn't I had
2: it? a regular sausage roll instead
0: <laughs> Is, is it a refusal or are they sold out? Because my one's sold out locally.
2: Uh, the guy in the shop said there isn't the demand locally for it. And I was kind of like, yeah, where we are, I can definitely see that. And he told me the nearest, nearest Greg's they're doing it is the one that we're near right now, actually, at JP's flat.
1: So uh, there's one one near you. If oh, you okay. One. I might go there tomorrow morning. There you go. Oh, a yeah,
0: class of people. Bit of breakfast. It's one of them. It's not like actual sausage rolls are good for you anyway. Um, for me, it tasted close enough, although, again, yeah, I haven't got much taste buds at the moment. The other weird thing is I, went, I decided on a whim. I don't know if you've got any. Have you got any Burger Kings near you? I kind of decided. We don't have many in Liverpool. There's like one or two around in the city centre. But I just <clears> decided on a whim while I was off sick, I was going to go to Burger King. But it was the one in uh, the famous Bootle Strand. Not far away from where uh, Sabutl Sabutal took place, which is like one of it's one of those rundown shopping centres that's just full. I've talked about it on the show before, full of pound worlds, pound lands and not much else. And lots of like zombie looking people living there. or uh, well basically basically living there. Yeah, and I went there, I won about my sick days off and it was just it was very depressing. Like the the it's like the world's weirdest Burger King. It was like full of full of it was it was completely packed and there were pensioners queuing up. <laughs> to, to to get the like, it was because like, it's a new thing for Bootle as well, so it's almost like that they've seen this exotic Burger King thing, and it's like oh, the new hotness in Bootle. That's the only way I can explain it, unless they were all there to get a like a cheap cup of coffee or something. I couldn't believe the cues. Do you know uh, what? The food was terrible. Uh, my granddad
2: was a big fan of a McDonald's and a Burger King, and uh. He would have been uh, 100 this year. He died about well, five, coming up to five years ago this year. And uh, in his dying days, he, was, he used to love a Burger King and a McDonald's three times a week. My mum used to go mad. I was like, well, to his 90s, let the man eat as much McDonald's as he wants. He survived the war. You know, yeah, he probably saw, saw a few horrors out there. He can have all the bloody Burger King he wants.
0: Maybe him being separated from reality and... Go yeah, into Bootle Strand on, a, on in the middle of a weekday because I'm not going to work. I've discovered like that that world exists. Is that a thing uh, to to older people? Just love Burger King and McDonald's. I, I...
1: No, there is you see there isn't one near here. There's like a drive-through. Yeah, Burger I was going to say there's one up the road. drive um, and that's bleak. But mm. outside of that, there's like the nearest one. Hey, that's a
0: drive-through of... Burger King.
1: It is. Well, it's Oxford, um, <laughs> and then you, you get to the center of town. There's one there, but it's just you know it's it's where all the tourists are and and oh, yeah. i and, and i can't abide the center of oxford it drives me completely berserk so <laughs> i managed to stay away from them outside of i don't know normally when i end up going to mcdonald's whenever there's a sort of york hall show on at some point
2: well whenever there's a wrestling show there's a mcdonald's nearby me and you pop in with them cheap vouchers don't we yeah let's be honest that
0: one on the oh, that one know. on the way back I mean we're going to be going to York Hall aren't we next month but that one we went on the way back from York Hall last time going back to Oxford going back to JPS. it's like on the way back isn't it
2: yeah that's the one on Baker Street that's a, a regular haunt after many wrestling shows
1: that one went quite drunk so yeah you can get the coach back then at that time
0: and we went for
2: a McDonald's after the media con as well remember
1: oh yeah right. Yeah, the argument was. with the
2: person behind the tilt she did my order wrong and then got all Arsie. remember that <laughs> Likely,
0: I was
1: quite drunk.
2: Uh, yeah, so was
0: I. <laughs> <laughs> it was literally the closest place for possible food. Yeah, I, I don't mind. I, I like McDonald's. I prefer, I think I prefer Burger King. I just don't get to have it a lot. Don't prefer that Bootle Burger King. I'm a big fan of KFC. We've we talked about the. Uh, the KFC chips on AskRev, Joe. I you don't know where that, way that uh, slot's for you. is. You're not a fan, are you, Joe, of, uh, of KFC? Anything? I
2: can't stand the stuff. Gave me food poisoning. And uh, my, One of few mates of mine were at Sussex Uni, and I went to stay with them. In 2005, we got a bucket, and since that day, I think I've eaten KFC maybe three times, and two of my mates I was with had never eaten it again because they were so just disgusted and appalled by it. So, yeah, not for me. I was going to ask you, Benno, the site of that McDonald's, isn't that the, um, oh, sorry, Burger King, isn't that the site of uh, Jamie Bulger's kidnap as well?
0: It is, unfortunately, yeah. The uh, the legacy of Strand is that that's where that happens. of course. Cool. I was like a maybe a couple of years older than he was, but I remember it being all over the news. I think I think we might have talked about it on have, oh, yes. Yeah, I think I remember saying that. Like, yeah, it was. We went to school. We'd go to school, and they'd be like reporters wait, because my school was right near Buttle Strand. There'd be reporters waiting outside, like trying to find out if any of the kids knew the two murderers or or any of that kind of stuff. A weird time, kind of hard when when they out aired those documentaries last year. That it was kind of like it brought back all these flashbacks of. Uh, the dark days of a uh, Bootle's town centre. Well, Look where we go on this one. Eh? <laughs> That's it. We've rated our fast food. We've. Uh, I mean, I suppose we haven't really talked any wrestling, but we'll probably get to that. Uh, I was going to ask as well, Joe. How was your uh, How was your birthday? That was on uh, the day of Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, any, any, anything? Get anything good? Any good memories?
2: Uh, my birthday was Wrestle Kingdom, and then uh, my mm. girlfriend cooked a. Uh, cracking lasagna and oh, chocolate mousse she makes oh my word uh, i don't think i've ever had anything finer in my mouth than that chocolate mousse i tell you this it's something to die for all that stuff uh mate of mine and his girlfriend came round to uh partake in eating chocolate mousse not like alan partridge does but you know <laughs> um, and that was about it really pretty low-key and then went to london the next day went to a dulwich hamlet game uh, went to Brick Brewery in Peckham, which was full of cheap and very good beer. And then went for a pizza with a few mates in London. So we had a bit of a day of it. And then next day went to the cockpit. So, yeah. So I've managed to fit some wrestling
1: in around the uh, birthday. So It's quite well navigated, isn't it? It is. Everyone's is, being it? kept happy over the weekend, including yourself. Uh, yeah, that's so, no, yeah. not bad, is it? I think yeah. you played it quite well there. Yeah, I think you did. I think you played a bit of a blinder.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing at this point, uh, people don't want a ice cold match by match takes on Wrestle Kingdom, but I am curious because we have had the chance to talk about it. Did you Did you watch it live? Did you? Uh, I, I kind of I ended up again. This was before I was off. I wish I was off sick at the time because that would have been perfect. But mm-hmm. uh, as is kind of tradition come Wrestle Kingdom time. I've always got no holidays left. I always can only book the morning off and I'm always just sitting there hoping desperately that it finishes before 12. This time it actually did though, uh, but I don't know if that was for for, for, for the better of the cards or for the worse of it.
1: Um, it's really funny when you can think of a, what was ultimately a five hour show. I woke up mm. at like half six. I think it was the pre-show side at seven. Um, So yeah, five hours and it seemed to completely fly by, and it's really strange feeling when you can watch a five-hour show and say that seemed a bit short in places. Just <laughs> yeah. the novelty of that alone. Um, see, I watched, I watched it live. At one point, um, we were we were going to watch the, watch it together.
0: Oh yeah, that was going to be Joe's big berto plans. Did that not come together?
1: No, it didn't. In the, it didn't in the end. JP was a party pooper. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I had my kids that day as well. Who, who, you'd be pleased to know, watched none of it. Oh, I know. They just, they just <laughs> that's, that's, stayed away.
0: Surely that's got to be a day off school. Like, surely that they could bribe you and say, "Listen, Dad, we're going to watch it, but as long as we don't have to go." Oh, all saying that, would they still off?
1: They were still off. They weren't in mm. until the Monday, so they were just—they weren't tolerating that at all. No excuse. It's been no. a
2: long two years since you fought so to watch a mega ricardo have a dinner.
1: <laughs> it you? really is. yeah yeah, I've decided to. I'm backing away a little bit on this, but I'll, you know, it's there. It's just It's just what next plan of attack. Maybe one of them will get into anime and that'll be the way to get them in. I don't know. Well, you're not going to take them to see the Nasty Boys Against the Bruisers in uh, Swindon. It's not too far. I think they'd probably love that. There's actually a show on this weekend in Oxford. There is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, on Saturday.
2: Yeah. Should we go? LDN. I'm up for it. Let's go.
1: We may as you well up for it,
2: Benno. Down the road
0: i'd love to <laughs> i don't know if it's worth the transport what's the card
2: um let me, I, well i saw a poster for it on outside of butchers down down yeah. the road from jp's house actually on sunday and i
1: completely forgot to tell you about it so let me have a let me find the poster i think it's eldian wrestling which i think is is it sonjay bagger's promotion
0: yeah he's a he's got a history he
1: that, he does have a history. Um, really intrigued because it's actually running at the school where we were going to go to a show before because there's barely never any wrestling in Oxford. But anyway, that's on uh, that's on this Saturday, so it might be worth going down there. Fifteen quid. I know. I'm not happy about I that. I think
0: it's Henna. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll
1: see how we feel. See,
0: I don't know whether I'd want to get one. Like I have heard some very very terrible stories about him. Yeah. Like, um, two. I, all I remember our LDN is it being the absolute worst thing on the wrestling channel. Uh, it used to be like the the one British thing that they put on. God, like, never yeah. Put. They it was kind of like they were doing like a allegedly a modern take on the old British style that at that point nobody really was begging for. Um, yeah, really odd product and a really strange thing that they, they kind of they're still going and they're still uh, still around.
2: Yeah, to be honest, the doubt's starting to creep in. 15 quid, you're saying that, and I'm looking at these lot on the poster. I don't know any, I, I don't know any of them are. That's three of them. I've got no idea. Some guy's roided to the gills, and he's got his veins sticking out of his bloody arse by the look of things. Um, some bold, generic-looking bloke, and then some bloke with a lead-to haircut and... League One tattoos, <laughs> from sleeves down his arm. I've never seen him before. He looks like he should be playing for Luton Town or something, though, this bloke.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Save your money, I'd say. Save your money for PCW. We've got WXW coming up.
2: Yeah, that's... Bit. Yeah.
0: Maybe that way, I Although it would be good. I'd enjoy the report.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, there's content there, but it's also giving up an evening for that shite. Yeah, there is that.
0: <laughs> um... Oh, yeah, before we have, before we do go wildly off topic, had yeah. any any thoughts on that new Japan card before we uh, we move on? Did you? That, that was overall, I thought it was a great card. I mm-hmm. think it was one of the best, the best Wrestle Kingdoms. Um, I've heard people describe it as like a a perfect show. I think the the short running time kind of. I think I don't know whether I was just expecting a little bit more. It reminded me of that one that Jeff Jarrett got on pay-per-view a couple of years ago where everything ran to time and that should be a good thing. But to me, a lot of the matches in the middle, I would rather have got five more minutes.
1: I think the, that's part of the issue with these is that some of these matches felt like they were going to be set up to slightly more epic sequels. So in a strange way, I had relatively low expectations lower expectations of Ospreay Abushi, I'd kind of got it into my head that it wouldn't live up to what I thought it would be. And then found myself being kind of pleasantly surprised. But then as the card went on the, especially the major matches, I thought they could have gone on that extra five minutes. I mean, I loved a card of white, but that could have gone an extra, an extra five minutes, um, especially the same with, with Zaki Ishi as well, which there was a sort of slightly unusual story being told in that one. I suppose thinking from the British perspective, in the sense that Zach was, kind of dominant throughout that and Mm. that was something that kind of really threw me off in terms of where it ranks it's the last few have been generally excellent every every time and and the top order matches including this time around, always deliver in some form you'd you know the point when you're disappointed by what you would consider to be a four-star very good match it says a lot about the depth of the card um it's I think where I come out of all of this is where it goes next year and the plans they've got, um, especially with the two domes, how that's going to work, whether or not they're going to be able to put on two gigantic cards worth of matches that are going to be able to sell over those two days. It's a fascinating experiment because it's been spoken about Mm. WrestleMania before as well. um, In terms of trying to split that over a weekend. So there's a lot coming out of it. What's going to happen with the copper box arena show? I'm, I'm, Really looking forward to see what could potentially happen with that.
0: Had you heard of the Copper Box before? I never heard of it as a venue to me. It it sounds like something mm. like a search term you might put into Pornhub. I hadn't heard <laughs> of it as, actually, <laughs> as a venue.
1: Not, never heard of it myself. I'd, I had because um, there was a couple of times I was I was down around there. I, I took my kids to the Olympics and the Olympic Park, and you'd see it there. So it's very easy to get to, for one. It's Stratford. Which has got mm. the Westfield there, and it's easy to get, obviously, because of the Olympics. It was used primarily, I think, for sort of netball and basketball, and they were using that in the O2, I think, possibly for the basketball stuff. So it does. A, I have seen it, and I've seen it on TV, and it's. It, I just assume it'd be very expensive to rent mm. out, and the stuff they do have there tends to be, you know, netballs are like very popular sport. And they tend to do really good numbers for that. It seats about sort of seven and a half thousand. When looking at it on TV, it looks like a really good arena. Not much that you could do in terms of like a sort of entrance way, but you can also, the very top tier in it, it looks like you could almost um, cover it up. And so even if you've got about 5,000 there, it would look really good. So yeah, there's a lot Mm. of interesting things that you'll be able to do with that place. Mm.
0: any thoughts
2: oh sorry sorry um yeah uh yeah i thought the show was pretty great to be honest with you it was an easy way to pass four hours as jp said um i thought omega tanahashi was one of the best matches i've probably ever seen i was blown away by it um i've watched it twice now there were things i picked up on the second time that i didn't see the first time um i think voices of the wrestling flagship show last week and rich crach pointed some stuff out that didn't even didn't even occur to me first time round about the aggression and the way omega was working and the way they were laying in such strikes and putting more emphasis on um like the disrespect they were showing for one another with the way they were kicking one another and was comparing it to say the sazaki kawada matches uh, in sort of 2000 2001 and i could absolutely see that in there the second time i watched it and that just added an extra element to the layers of the storytelling and the actual storyline that was going on in there I think Tanahashi might be the best wrestler ever. I think there's an, a definite mm. shout for that in there somewhere for him. Um, you know, He's still got something to give at this point as well. Who knows how long this is going to go on for, this run, and who knows how much longer he's going to be going on at this top level because he can still go when he wants to, and he's got mm. such a unique charisma. To me, for years, Shawn Michaels I thought was the best wrestler ever, and I don't think I'd never see anyone else. Tanahashi's double the wrestler Shawn Michaels was even, you know, he's got such a great record of matches behind him at this point and such a great record of great matches at the Tokyo Dome as well. You think of how many five star matches he's had at the Tokyo Dome at this point. It's just off the chart. Like, I want to see, I really want to see good things from this run, but I fear Jay White is going to actually beat him next month. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. as much as I think Jay White has massively improved, I think from an in ring standpoint, it's maybe a year, six months too early for Jay White to win the belt because I don't think he's quite there in the ring yet. Um, But yeah, Tanahashi Omega is a match I want to see. I want to see a rematch. I really, really do not want Omega to leave New Japan. I think. Omega is someone who, like, I've not done it myself because I just think the guy's great um, and he's maybe my favourite wrestler in the world right now. But I think he's someone that within the sort of circle that we exist in or bubble we exist in, people like to knock and people really like to... Find things wrong about him and the way he wrestles. And I think that there's an overanalysis of his performance that goes on there because for me, he's close to perfect, and you just look at the the you know the record that he's got in big matches. And people can say he's lazy because he, you know does the house show stuff where's the house show tights look what he does during a g1 season that guy delivers at least seven eight four-star matches during an entire yeah. g1 you know his record's ridiculous look at the range of opponents at this point as well he's a big match wrestler if this guy goes it, 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 it's going to be felt it's really going to be mm. felt jay white is not, nowhere close to the level of omega you know Osprey I think will be as good as Omega at some point but you've got to remember Omega got his push when he was what 32 Osprey is what 25 Osprey's a few years off and being able to develop that character maybe a little bit more. He's maybe not fully there. I think he's there in ring, but maybe he's not fully there character-wise, which might bring his in ring and his stories, his ability to tell stories in the ring to a further level as well that Omega has. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I I've, I've just pray he doesn't go. I'm hoping... All that he's doing at the moment, like at the New Japan sports, uh, sorry, the Japanese sports awards or wherever it was mm-hmm. last night, we said that he won't be there next year. I hope this is all an elaborate work and I hope you know we're all fearing the worst, and he's gonna be back there next year collecting more awards and killing it at the Tokyo Dome because there's still such a story to tell with him in New Japan. We've got the Ibushi match that we all want on on a sort of a Tokyo Dome setting. I want a Tanahashi rematch as well. There's more I think him and Okada can do together as mm. well. I think it would be devastating if he was to go at this point.
0: I think, kind of like, I think the reason, like, there'll be some people hope, almost hoping he leaves, and the reason you get some of that over analysis, I think it's it is weird. I think you hit the nail on the head there that a lot of it's, it's just within kind of the bubble. Uh, I think some of it's kind of like a big thing I noticed about that Wrestle Kingdom card was just. The, the likes of, you know, Minoru Suzuki not getting on the cards, The likes of, as we talked about, like Hiroki Goto not getting on the card, even though I'm not the biggest fan of him. Um, and even like the, you know, the younger, you know, spots for younger Japanese talents. I think Omega gets grief and becomes the poster boy for the amount of Western guys that kind of made up this card um, and the change that's kind of happened in New Japan over the last year. And I think the fact that, it's brought in a lot of new fans um, people who wouldn't historically have watched New Japan who've come in because of the elite and because of Omega and because of Dave Meltzer constantly talking up Omega. You know, you mentioned over analysis. I think part of it's because Meltzer can't help but give at least six stars to every big <laughs> Kenny Omega match kind of all these things kind of play together don't they to where mm. Omega's become fairly or unfairly like the poster boy for people who are pushing back against, you know, whatever this, New version of uh, of New Japan that's kind of uh, came over the last couple of years. Um, I still like him. I still enjoy his matches. I didn't. I think you went the the full five, didn't you? For for that for the, for Omega Tanashi. Uh, oh yeah, the, yeah,
2: Apple. absolutely for me. I was. Just I below school. that. yeah.
0: Uh, maybe I just had the fear. Maybe I'm just a coward. Maybe I should have gone far. <laughs> but when it comes, you're right. He's a big match wrestler. And when it comes to those big matches, I get some of the criticism people have about him. Like people will complain about his selling being off and on with his knee. And again, I don't mind that stuff really. I, I find, I don't mind. As long as he goes back to it, I find it more realistic than people walking around in a match like they've been shot in the leg. Um, mm-hmm. I, I personally, I don't find that realistic either. Um, although you know i can see why people say it Um but yeah I, I i'm not exhausted on him but it does feel like yeah within the bubble there is an exhaustion and i think it's it's all of those factors it's kind of the again the, the he becomes the focus for all that kind of analysis whether it's it's fair or not and Yeah, I hope that it is all just the work and it isn't something that's going to actually lead to his exit in some ways or at least be a part of it.
2: It's interesting you mentioned selling there because I think with selling selling isn't something that necessarily has ever really got him over like Mm. it has at times during angles like the big Jericho angle and stuff but in a match with Tanahashi if Omega's you know, selling to get himself over. Tanahashi's a better seller. Tanahashi's mm. going to get over with his selling and get more sympathy on his from his selling, and he's more a more charismatic seller as well. Let's be honest, and a more dramatic seller. So I just think think about a wrestler's strengths as well. Um, I'm all for someone selling in a match. Obviously, it's one of the fundamentals of in-ring performance. But if it's not one of your strengths as well, don't overegg it use what is one of your strengths to get yourself over in a match and you know look at say tony storm she sells, sells 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 right fair enough it makes sense if omega was to do that I don't think the match would be as entertaining. And you could argue that maybe he's not as diverse as some others based Mm. on that. But I think what he delivers and the formula that he's got and the Mm. stories that he's able to tell in these big matches at this point, along with Okada and Tanahashi, I don't think there's anyone better in the world at this point in time.
0: I think as well, like on that selling point as well, it's kind of what... Again, I understand that if you want, you know, Omega to be doing the traditional wrestling him, but I kind of, it's like if you watch an MMA fight, like people finish MMA fights with broken limbs and they're not they're not going to stand there and show their opponent that that's the case, are they? At uh, points in the fight, fight through it, try and avoid it, work around it and not make it really obvious. So yeah, that stuff never really bothers me. But yeah, I think, I, I suppose it's what you want out of your wrestling. He is very much a, almost a, a he goes for all the video game stuff, doesn't he? And his matches are sometimes like a, a video game fight. But I think that's what I loved about this Tarahashi match as well, Though that it was in some ways, you know, in them telling the style battle story, quite grounded too. Um, again, if you can, if like me, you're happy to look past the, the weird knee stuff.
2: And for me, it was the extra... Bit of spice they put on those shots as well. Mm. Example would be that when Omega got the knees up on that high fly flow. Have you ever seen a more brutal, uh, like block on a move from the top rope ever than the way he spiked him with those knees? It was little things like that for me that put the match completely over the top. It showed Omega being that bit more aggressive. Tanahashi was fighting through that pain to get to the end of the match as well. I can't believe he took that dragon suplex off at top mm. rope as well.
1: Oh, my God. Well, he was... turned into an exploder, didn't he? He managed to go around oh. the whole way. So I was like, I didn't want him landing on his neck.
2: Oh, it was insane. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that was crazy. Just, just a great match, if you ask me. And Jericho Naito, something that should be forgotten as well. Mm. I've been talking about the greats. There's another one of the greats. Again, I'm going to bring up Voices of Wrestling podcasters. I listened to last week, talking about how this was Jericho's best ever match. I don't think it was at all. I think Jericho's another guy who people really overlook this uh, for me he might be again one of the greatest of all time you look at his record you look at how he's been able to reinvent himself but you also look at the matches i think there are so many chris jericho matches that people have short memories on the Shawn michaels matches is just kind of get dropped into conversation yeah he had a few matches with Shawn michaels that were really good matches now they were fucking great that ladder match from no mercy 2008 is one of the greatest wrestling matches ever if you ask me i'd make no hesitation and put it in my top 10 of all time. Best ladder match I've ever seen. I've never seen a ladder used so well within the story of a match and to help tell a violent, personal and physical story. It's just an absolutely incredible match that people need to go back and revisit and actually understand just how good Chris Jericho was in the ring during that run as well. Because it wasn't just his character stuff and his promos. What The way he adapted his style at that point in time to wrestle around that character was absolutely amazing like honestly i urge people to go back and revisit aspects of his career because he is one of the absolute greatest ever you hear all the people raving about eddie guerrero oh, he had natural talent all the rest of it he did absolutely but was he as good at reinventing himself and being as creative as chris jericho was in a big match situation i don't think he was at all i just think he he was a great wrestler if anything who could adapt to anyone But just look at the way Chris Jericho injects story based around the story that is going on, um, sort of, I mean, like, bigger storyline into his matches. I don't know if there's anyone as good as him in the last 10 years at doing that, especially from a WWE standpoint. The guy's an absolute god. If I had to have a Mount Rushmore of wrestlers, I'd consider having four Chris Jerichos. (laughs) I think he's that good. (laughs)
0: <laughs> i think i think more and more people are coming round to like uh what you're saying about jericho like i know from knowing you joe that you've been high on him for a while but i think he's really baby-facing himself with fans uh, whether it's the oh mate i've been saying
2: i've been saying this for over 10 years honestly well since about 2008 hmm. i've been saying this
0: but i think that like doing it the- having these high-level matches on Wrestle Kingdoms. I mean, I I love all those Jericho matches you listed. I'd have, you know, I'd have the Naito match and I'd have the the Omega match up there with his best stuff. But I think the fact that he's doing it now, the fact that, you know, there's obviously the all, all of the All Elite news, uh, the fact mm. that he's willing to kind of, you know, go and, and try out new planes there as well. And he's going to be... You know the the Terry Funk to ECW um, with this all elite and be like the the veteran who can still go more than probably Terry Funk could and is a in his ECW pump. I think that's adding to his legacy too, and I think it is making people who because I, I I can remember like a, a couple of years ago, similar to like Rey Mysterio who's had like a bit of renaissance that match he had with um, uh, Andre the Cyan Almas or just Andre. I was gonna say down can't down call him that. <laughs> was a good reminder of he was Andre. Jericho and Mysterio were two wrestlers who it felt like there were points in the mid-2000s where like hardcore wrestling fan boards or Twitter or wherever you go for your conversation, they were almost just kind of seen as, uh, you know, they've been around too long. The stale, uh, they weren't as good as people remember. And both wrestlers, it feels like this year. uh, I don't think, I think they're both great this year. And they're both looking as good as they have for, for large amounts of their career. But I think they're changing some minds and, Reminding people that you know what they're what they're capable of and and that they are you know uh, massive parts of of wrestling history and definite contenders for uh, for any kind of Mount Rushmore.
1: Well, well, I watched that match against Andrade um, that Mysterio had. I don't know if you've seen it yet, Joe. I, mean, no, it, I It's it's a I mean it's a I think it's a very good match. Um,
0: mm. and so, I love it. I think it's the best TV match there's been yeah. on Raw or SmackDown in... God knows how long. I don't watch Raw SmackDown but, every week. Uh, Lord knows, but yeah, I'd have it up there.
1: Exactly. And I think one of the things that was really notable seeing Mysterio is the amount of sort of, he's not carrying that kind of excess muscle he was mm. for such a long time. And you can tell he's moved. I mean, some of the stuff he did, like sort of sp- springboard um, hurakarana to the outside that he did, did on him. And you're just thinking, my God, I think you put up a comment, Benno, about this being sort of like 20 years sort of, part you know mm. we've gone past when he was having oh, yeah. those matches in wcw i can and he's still at that distinctly
0: well. remember 22 23 years ago sat there watching nitros and he had a match with with armus on on smackdown that was up there with those kind of matches that's absolutely insane because there's there's people i talk about who were wrestling who, who weren't even born there
2: as good as those D malenko matches on nitro
0: I think so, yeah. yeah. I wow. think it's, it's on that level. Yeah. I, I really do. Um, hopefully, I haven't over overhyped it now for you. Don't worry. There's choice on there as well. Oh, no. But,
1: never yeah. maybe, i
2: would have a watch.
0: Maybe shoot. I wouldn't say better, but I'd say of the quality. Like Rey Mysterio looks like it's the type I said to someone, it's the type of thing where, remember when you were a kid and everyone thought there was more than one Ultimate Warrior? Like you convince like someone that yeah, there's a there's a new Rey Mysterio just based on the fact that he's moving rounds like he was 22, 23 years ago when like three years ago, four years mm. ago, it looked like his his knees were were held together by tape.
1: Yeah, he's he's certainly looked. I mean, trying to think the last time we saw him, he uh, was um, in Rev Pro. My, yeah, in in Rev Pro, and he looked and he was very good that day. Mm. Um he looked still it all
0: in as well, didn't
1: he? Yes, that's it yeah and
0: Undefined.
1: you know, if this is his last big run, and know one of the things that's been touted is a hair versus mask match with him with Andrade because you know to have to drop the cNL mess for reasons that are best known to one <laughs> lunatic
0: um,
1: <laughs> it, it's yeah it, it I'm happy to see that being the case, but I think it's it's interesting to tie it back in with what you guys have said with um with Chris Jericho as well. That you have two guys who when they started out they were wrestling lots of diverse opponents they were going to lots of various places around the world so they're able to adapt and they've got those kind of inherent skills coming across at a time as well working 90s junior matches in in new japan all through when wcw had that great undercard and then being able to work in in wwe in those early 2000s and be being the parts of the show that I, they were the only things I were. I was ever interested in um, mm. and seeing them being able to sort of come about. I think with Jericho, it's the willingness to give as well. I mean, they both have it, but what Jericho could do for AEW as a oh. as that Terry Funk who will be willing to kind of, you know, I don't think he'd have ego about working a, a story with MJF, for example, no, if that was the so. case. Do you
2: know what I think it's just insane as well? And we're going off on a right tangent here. <laughs> yeah. Think about the year no, the no. year 2000. <laughs> you've got Chris Jericho, you've got Triple H. Triple H had a great year in the year 2000. Who's a better wrestler there's no doubt in my mind that Chris Jericho is a much better, much more diverse, much less selfish wrestler than Triple H. Look at the legendary career Triple H is had in WWE. And Jericho's had, uh, well he's been up and down the mid-card at various points. He's had his breaks because he's been de-pushed at various points. Because his talent was never fully appreciated or respected at any point, and it just baffles me when you look back that Triple H has had this career where he's lauded as this all-time great and legend by morons, and you had Chris mm. Jericho right there that you could have gone with in the mm. same way, mm. and you chose this roided-up twat rather than <laughs> someone with a you know a real personality, the willingness to give. The willingness to adapt as well. I feel like Vince McMahon has never fully, um, fully respected Chris Jericho in the way that he should have. Yeah. And I always find Chris Jericho's interviews really f- interesting publicly, where he never knocks Vince properly and talks about how like vince's his friend and all the rest of it and it's like i reckon you've been feeding shit to melzer for years about what crazy <laughs> insane twat bit <laughs> well and true yeah. is. because he's obviously one of dave melzer's sources and i think deep down he knows that there was the choice of probably him or triple h back then and uh, triple h got the nod over him but you look at the mm-hmm. two men's careers think about a great triple h match they're all pretty much the same aren't they when you think yeah. about
1: it, right? It's dependent on the person he's in there with. Yeah,
2: think, yeah. Ab- but also think about how many misses Triple H has had on big, mm. big shows, right? Think about the Roman Reigns match at Mania. Think about the match he had with Jericho at Mania, when Jericho was absolutely buried going into that Mania. Think about the Booker T match. You know, I can keep going here with really dull Triple H matches at WrestleMania's. Seth Rollins. There's yeah, a Yeah, I was gonna say look at Chris Jericho in big match situations. Other than the Superliga match when he was very young and the triple h match where obviously his character was booked like shite you know after hogan rock this bloke delivers in big big situations as well in a way that triple h has never been able to consistently i don't know why i've gone down that road i think i just really <laughs> don't like triple h
0: i think it's i think it's because like it's that thing about history isn't it that, like the winners of wars gets the right history mm-hmm. and triple h has won like the Like he was the member of the clique who won the political war in WWE to the point where he's in a position of power and influence that like he's seen of as like this all time great. Maybe not on maybe in his own mind on Rock and and Austin's level, but like that that one level below. Mm. Which I which I can I think there's there's some argument for, but I do think yeah, because of that and because he has so much influence, I think there's like a we're gonna talk about NXT UK a little bit later. There's like a, a generation of wrestlers who kind of see that plodding Triple H main event style and see him as like one of the, the super workers of all time Um I think that the fact that yeah he's had so many big wins politically is part of the reason why he's, he's thought of like that because if he wasn't a McMahon I wonder whether he would have been, he would have gone the Jeff Jarrett route and disappeared in, in 2001, 2002 or something or whether he'd or he'd be like a Jericho. Go. I mean what imagine like that's a like I mean it's a, probably its own podcast, but that's a whole through line. Like what 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 happens to Triple H if he never marries into the McMahon family? Wow. Like, like what what does his career actually look like post, you know, nineteen ninety nine, two thousand? Um I think I think that a lot of that's uh, the reason why he's he's seen as by, in some circles, as a, on a higher level than Jericho. But I think Jericho is making a good case these last couple of years. I think
1: it's only the technicality that he's been involved in matches that have drawn certain amounts. And I think the Batista buy rate, is that still the highest buy rate? That's that the only time. Sort of drew? That's, that's, it's the business argument. Yeah
0: think about Cornette. will always tell you he's the other guy though won't he he'll always yeah. say he's the, he's the he's the one b he's the he's the guy who works with the guy yes and who was
2: triple h other than batista who has he ever well and truly made and put over like properly i mean properly properly mm. like batista in that wrestlemania 20 match when you look back at that yes yeah, great it's a great feud and the match establishes batista well in because he gives him a beating other than that who has he ever done that for who has he ever got over to the point they're an absolute superstar I can't think of anyone else because he's a selfish bastard at the end of the day yeah.
0: he got Shelton Benjamin over for a week
2: for a yeah, week exactly. and I, I'm pretty sure he lost to did he lost to Maven once or um,
0: yeah. he lost to- yeah there was that weird mm. one wasn't there where they were making Shelton Benjamin and then just they had like Survivor series coming up or a show like that and they just swapped them out for Maven. Ah, oh, no one will notice. And Tripp's tried to make him instead.
2: Ah, <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. It, it just never done it because the ego just dominates, obviously. <laughs> Remember as well, Chris Jericho got a good entertaining match out of Jimmy Snooker and Roddy Piper, <laughs> when Jimmy Snooker was probably closer to his death well, should have been closer to his deathbed than he should have a wrestling rig. Mm. Like that man can work
0: miracles. I think the thing with Jericho, though, as well as I would say, you know, we're talking ego. He's got, he has got an ego, but it's in a different way, isn't it? Like you listen to his his podcast talking about all elites. He's got an ego, but it's an ego in that he wants to, like, he, he probably sees it as a challenge to go out and have that match with Snooker or that incredible uh, match he had with Ricky Steamboat. He kind of, he, he, I don't know whether it's just because he's a, a Smokes' favorite or what, but I think Jericho. There's something about. His ego that i think is more of like a, a positive i think it means oh, that like he's gonna keep trying and he's gonna want to go yeah. to places like all elite because he doesn't want to be a 50 year old man he wants to still be a 25 year old hanging around with the young bucks that's like i think that's still how he sees it himself and i think a big part of that is like, like that that ego too
1: well his ego is kind of well deserved because he is excellent so i mean ultimately he knows exactly what works and what doesn't and and if you look at the way that he's you know think of the amount of buys alone on new japan world that that he can be kind of accredited with in, including mm. the amount you know he's been paid a lot of money to go in new japan and quite rarely in wrestling he's completely lived up to it and exceeded what it was and that's delivering at your end of the bargain which he knew he always could do if he was given the freedom to kind of do that build in the way that he does it and, and- you know, tying it in with all Elite, when when he came out, you kind of thought that's I, I was like very happy to see that he had signed mm. them. And you know, I think one of the things that's gonna end up coming out as a result is is the kind of the fact he's been such success outside of the WWE system in a major money way, that's now gonna obviously lead to the the fear of losing anyone else in case they might possibly do it, which we now mm. end up with this situation of stockpile talent. And various rumours coming out about about people wanting to leave, and some people asking for their releases. But no one really seems to know when a lot of the contracts are up as well. But I think seeing someone like Jericho go out there and do that is going to actually sort of lead a lot of people to think there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to give that a go to really be able to get themselves over and work with someone who knows how to
0: get them over. I think Jericho being part of that has turned the conversation from. Ah, it's going to be another Ring of Honor. Ah, it's going to be another even MLW, but you know maybe on a bigger scale. That's made this whole all elite stuff feel like big time. Mm. That, plus I've got more confidence in them. Having listened to his podcast, I don't know if you did. You both listen to Tony Khan's podcast with X I, I did listen yeah, to that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that stuff's kind of made me feel more confident. Where like I feel like we're in like uh, it, we could be. I don't think they're going to be WCW and they're not going to... I don't think they're going to be putting, as I've seen Meltzer say, they're not going to be putting WWE out of business anytime soon. But the fact that they've got a Jericho on board, the fact that i thought i think I, i've seen people push back and say well just because tony Khan was an observer subscriber he's really gonna know how to run a business um but you know he, he runs an american football team he runs fulham whether he runs that well or not you might uh mm. whether you're a fulham fan might uh, depend on your your thoughts on that but all of those factors together have actually got me feeling quite like positive on i don't know when i'm gonna get the time to watch it but on you know a big real big time competitor actually happening this year and uh, jericho's done the he, he kind of made sure that he's, he's front and center of it he knows what the uh the cool product is and he knows again how to babyface himself with fans
2: and he also knows how to once again adapt and consider what he can give in wrestling and get the most value from at this point in time and i think he's probably thinking about legacy and you can think about legacy from one point yeah how the wwe gonna lionize me but you can think about legacy from another point of view, which is with kind of the bubble that I suppose we exist in fellow observer readers and all the rest of it. And you know, I, I've said about him being one of Melts' sources for years. He clearly respects us as a group of fans. He clearly gets mm-hmm. that fan base. He, you know, invests in that fan base and understands how to get over with that fan base. Think about what I just said about Mount Fucking Rushmore, for God's sake.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: I might write a book on how great the guy is, to be honest, because he really is. Um, I once saw him in a club in Southampton. Actually, he was in a uh, junk. <laughs> Which was a regular haunt back in the day in Southampton. He'd done a fuzzy gig, and then for some reason he was going to junk VIP afterwards, and. Unfortunately, I couldn't get into the VIP area to have a shot of Grey Goose of him as he was drinking that night. But it was very weird (laughs) seeing him in a club in Samson that, you know, I'd been to on quite a few occasions and had lots of shit drum and bass blasting out of the speakers. And there was Chris Jericho just sat in the corner. That was weird. But no, he follows, you know, he he has a focus on what he needs to do to stay relevant. And it's constantly obviously on his mind. How do I stay relevant in this business? And he's managed to do it. He's not turned into any sort of nostalgia act. He's, you know, arguably the best he's ever been right now. And long may this continue. Um, I was going to say on Tony Khan, how do you guys feel about old Tone?
0: I, I like, I, I honestly, I kind of got, I think it's easy to say, oh, they've got a money mark. I think that's kind of when the news stories first started coming out. It was like, ah, here's someone with big money who's going to throw money into wrestling, wrestler and they're going to get bored and they're going to disappear after six months. But similar to what you were saying about Jericho there, like Khan is like someone who's obviously so tapped into like this cult like people found like old tweets from him arguing about you know booking decisions in wwe and brilliant reddit things <laughs> pulling out like reports that he sent to the observer in the mid 2000s like he's a full-on mm. smart mark and again i don't think that makes you a great promoter but i do think it's a good start if you've got someone who knows wrestling and a le- it I would describe him as, listen to that x podcast. He's the type of person who, not being snobby, but I'd be quite happy to have a... I mean, there are certain smart wrestling fans you wouldn't want to have a conversation with. Some of them might be the Bullet Club fans, but him, <laughs> he came across as the kind of fan that I'd want to have a conversation with. Someone you'd like to have on a podcast, hopefully, you know, like this one. Um, And I think that gave me some confidence, That, uh, along with the fact that, again, you know, he's a real... Like, I know it's his dad's money, but it's a real businessman with, you know, running running an NFL team is you know no small feat. I think his dad's like the two hundredth most rich man in the world yeah. or something like that. Uh, running Fulham, whether that's a big deal or not, might uh, your mileage may vary. They, uh, they signed Ryan Babel this week. That was yeah,
1: great. that's um,
2: that's <laughs> that <ain't> very old. <laughs>
0: I hope, that, I hope that's well. i hope that's not a sign that they're going to. I mean, are they going to start for all elite? Are they going to be looking to the 2008 archives as well? Because that's kind well, of the last what? time.
2: Ryan Babble is a quite a rap career on the side. So if they want some entrance, oh, music, is that what it is? If they want some entrance <laughs> music done, get Ryan Babble in for a few themes, maybe. Yeah, right.
0: He does feel straight out of 2008, though. So, yeah, hopefully they don't. They don't uh, that's not, it's not one of those kind of promotions where they bring in an old name. Ooh. But it doesn't seem like it. It seems like the type of promotion. Jericho's you said he's got his his finger on the pulse. But it does feel like Tony Khan's got his finger on the pulse. And even if it's a load of money gets, that gets thrown away and doesn't come to a huge amount, it feels like it's got promise and it feels like it's got a chance.
1: He's cu- the numbers that have been spoken about are kind of the sort of numbers that has always been discussed on message boards and forums about what you would need to seriously start up, uh, a, a an international wrestling company. Um, mm. and there's, the, there is some really good promising signs sort of away from Tony Khan. I think the, t- the team, up with, um, I think is it OWE in, in China. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's something there and that's, and that's probably going to be the best direct way of, you know, that Holy gra- chasing that Holy grail of being able to get into China. That at least is some kind of a start um there appears to be sort of working the a lot of the contracts with people who who like the likes of a Joey Janella and an MJF that are able to work in, independent as well I think there's a recognition that they can't just come in and bleed the independence scene dry that it's it's worthwhile if they're not do, if they're predominantly producing tv that they need to be able to go out and work and if that's the case and they're working the idea of cooperating with other other promotions Mm. it can only
0: we'll see though well we'll see on that stuff because it's like yes i remember mlw talking all that stuff up and then you know this last week rush getting signed by ring of honor from under the the noses and lucha underground being funny about contracts with people as we've kind of seen with mlw and i think Mm. tom lawler from a black label pro show that can change very quickly you can have those good intentions but i wonder if we get all these contract wars going on through the year whether that will remain the case
1: i was going to ask you too what do you make i mean obviously it's long term ring of honor fans personally i find this the the kind of spree of signings they're making i mean it's it's kind That's- of it's all over the shop. It's too
2: late as well.
1: Like, they're just signing guys,
2: essentially. Like, I don't know, will Rush give them a advantage in, like, a Mexican market if they can get TV in Mexico, maybe? I, I don't know. Have um, they ever
1: pushed that style? Would they? Not really. Yeah.
2: Which is the other... They're, they're not really into their, you know, lucha brawls, are they, in Ring of Honor? No. Um, so yeah, it seemed like he was a far better fit for MLW. Did
0: you see the story about that in The Observer today, about the MLW and, like... You can tell meltzer has been talking to Kurt Bauer, but you say they're like that he would have fit MLW better. It sounds like they were offering him the contract they were offering fit him better as well. There's all kinds of like mm. visas for his family and all kinds. I don't know whether that just oh Kurt yeah him doing Bauer, punditry him. on um, Spanish yeah on, on speaking sport. of Fulham yeah on like like football games <laughs> and stuff yeah like.
1: <laughs> it, it'd be on the, the Spanish language, like, uh, okay. but Roosh and Richard Keys, <laughs> I'd watch that. Keys, Gray, and <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know if, if Keyes Keys would have the tolerance to work with someone who didn't speak sort of the uh, perfect Queen's English. Yeah, He'd go no. very <laughs> Brexit about it, wouldn't he? Well, have you seen his house in Dubai? Oh, have seen his
2: house tour. If you haven't seen it, Google uh, Richard Keys House Tour Dubai. It's real life Alan Partridge stuff. <laughs>
0: But no, I'm, I've, I'm gutted we're not getting it now. Because yeah. that would have been perfect. I'm gutted by, Not only am I gutted he's not going to carry on working MLW, I'm gutted we're not getting out all those extras as well that apparently was in his contract. That shows you how nuts this kind of contract rush is that's going on.
2: Yeah, um, I just think with Ring of Honour... It's too little, too late. Um, Marty will go soon as well. It's just going to be another product that exists with lots of good talent at this point. But Mm. am I going to tune into it? I might watch the occasional pay-per-view. But the likes of the guys that I've always found boring, Dalton Castle, Jay Lethal, um, uh, Matt Haven, are still all going to be there. Like, to me tony khan is the, is the great hope i feel i feel about tony khan how i felt about jeremy corbyn in 2015. <laughs> this guy was suddenly saying all this stuff i'd fought for years but I had no way of being able to execute because i don't have any sort of <laughs> what, a platform essentially i suppose in tony khan's um, case of money base but here he is the great hope and he's saying all the right things like Corbyn was to me in 2015 and he's inspiring me and he's making me think oh my god there's a brighter future on the horizon obviously Corbyn's not covered himself in any uh, no. good graces this week in my mind but uh yeah Tony if you if you're listening mate and you want to kick back in London and watch some wrestling on your iPad sometime I'm about <laughs>
0: It's it's like a real life game of EWR, isn't it? Like, it is. It's the type of thing that happens in a game where like you've got unlimited funds and you and you'll go and you'll book like the smart market thing you possibly can, like me playing EWR and booking Paul London and Brian Kendrick in all my main events. That's what it feels like. <laughs> he's got like a he's got a real life set of toys here and he's just gonna be throwing it all at the wall and, and he's gonna be like you say, delivering what the types of fans like us would Daydream about or think that we do and we think we're 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 booking geniuses you could do better than wwe he's actually doing it in real life
1: do you think they're going to get a relationship with new japan i fucking
0: hope so it's got to happen hasn't it i mean yeah the guerrilla marketing aspect of it where they're like the pushing like the you know the all the being the elite fans are going to give them something of a fan base but i think to break through to the mainstream, I think that that New Japan relationship mm. and exposing the top New Japan guys is going to be really important. I think they, I think they could capitalize on it better than than Ring of Honor have capitalized on it over the years. And I think they'll be able to if if they've got Jericho, if they've got Omega, Omega. Because let's be honest, I mean, people are posting news stories. or oh, will he? Won't he? He's going to All Elite. There's no doubt to it. Mm. He's going to All the, It's definitely happening. But if they've got those guys, I think that gives them leverage. And I think ring of honor are going to be new japan's friends until march april when they have the big madison square garden show but i think they're yeah. gonna quietly either drop them or convince them that oh yeah we're gonna carry on working with you but we're also going to be working with with all elite because i think new japan is smart enough to wait to see what happens with tv deals and whether tony khan is for real and whether something real comes of it but i think by the end of the year yeah i think they're very much more prominent than than Ring of Honor in the in New Japan's eyes in in that relationship kind of triangle.
1: Yeah, and and obviously the things that New Japan can offer and bring to the table in terms of being able to put out a product combined with the the roster that that All elites seem to be putting together, there's so much more potential than what there is with with Ring of Honor. Where I saw there was a a new stable setup that came together this oh, week I look
2: fucking awful
1: and it was juice robinson <laughs> david finley let's just throw seven guys together all neil to dashwood
0: it hey, worked it worked for generation next joe you never know they might be able to it's, recreate
2: uh, nah, come on. Th- those four guys suited each other right <laughs> uh, did you ever watch emma in wwe and think wow juice robinson uh with Mark Haskins <laughs> thrown into the mix with the measure as well. And <laughs> who else
1: was in it? It's just, but then we've it's, just odds of in it. Indeed, we've kind of hit, hit upon the problem with Ring of Honours. Can, you can buy as many, you can get as much of this talent in. I'm very happy for Mark Haskins that he's got. Sort of a fresh. I mean, that's something that the three of us have been saying for quite some time. Is seeing him in a in a different environment,
0: and this or oh, not seeing him, put him on a product that I'm not going to watch, which is basically what.
1: Yeah, happened. or you know, something that will be it- intermittently seeing where there'll be the kind of novelty to it. I still though look at the booking because he was on the Honor Reign Supreme Card. And he was up against Beer City Bruiser, <laughs> and you're there thinking, yeah, no, some, of, some of this shit ain't changing, is it? It's going to be it's yeah. going to be the same. Same type of bollocks. Well, do you know what
2: they need? They need Booker. They've needed to get rid of Delirious for years because he's stale, Mm -hmm. he doesn't do anything that's even... Half interesting most of the time. He doesn't scout talent. I'm pretty sure these won't be his guys. He's getting. I'm pretty sure that it's probably being recommended guys or someone else is doing the talent scouting because he hadn't heard a Will
0: Osprey and Marty Scout before he brought them on board. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, they Os- brought PCO on six months too late and at a point where PCO is not the type of person. You, I enjoyed. You mentioned that on a Rage Supreme card. I really enjoyed. I watched the six man there with. PCO on the Marty Scale side against the Briscoes and Silas Young. And he was great. And he was doing all the daft bumps that you see him do in the indies. And it got over on one night. But you don't give that guy a long-term contract. No. So. And that just tells you everything about like, I, I think they've-, they've done some good things. Bringing in Bandido, I think is smart. Yeah. And they're bringing in some some good talent. But I think you're right. I don't trust the-, the booking of Delirious to kind of take them past whatever level they're at now. I think they're probably going to sink a little bit over the next uh, year or so thing is that they they have
1: access i mean they, they certainly got some dates for osprey this year they've still got marty skull they've they've brought in some like really interesting names like the banditos and, and the Brody kings think with with a sort of really good logical booking for the year what they could get out of that year especially with someone like roosh as well being knowing how to book him because he doesn't really work that kind of intensive work rate style. I mean, it's, it's, it's very different from, I mean, I've watched a couple of his matches. I saw the match in MLW and he's, you know, he's got real charisma to him. Um, but at the same time, if they're looking for kind of, you know, work rate, that's not really in his in his yeah. wheelhouse. It's not. That's not. It's not nice the variety,
2: for. I suppose. So Good maybe for that. maybe they'll start booking his matches like differently in a different mm-hmm. manner as well. Think of Jericho in New Japan. I know those matches been booked.
1: But I don't think of Delirious being able to no, book matches no, in that yeah. way. Nor,
2: I don't have any faith in him as a booker. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I just think to myself as well. Like for me, all Elite Wrestling has existed in all but name for the last mm-hmm. three or four years because Ring of Honor has been. The elite for the last Mm. however many years. That's the only reason anyone watched it. The reason they were promoted well and the reason their houses went up was because of being the elite and the fact people were so invested in those characters and the fact that there was more exposure for those guys on New Japan as well. And then they'd peak a house when the New Japan guys came in. Like for me, Ring of Honor was basically helped along by the guys who have now formed, you know, all elite wrestling. And without them it, there, it feels like there's no real life to the promotion at this point in time, and it feels like they're clutching at straws to try and get something across. Impact mm. for me are a much more is a much more interesting product than mm. Ring of Honor at this point. I know they're not doing the numbers but the booking's good. I think Scott Demore and Don Callis have done a really good job there. The mix of talent's good. The way they've actually managed to make the talent mould, it feels like there's a real good curation of talent in impact. Whereas you look at Ring of All and MLW, for that matter as well. You look at Ring of Honour and it just feels like odds and ends and oh, we'll have him. Yeah, we'll have him as well. Yeah. To me, it feels a bit like um, QPR when they were in the <laughs> ship and they were just like, well, he's played for a good club. Rio Ferdinand, get him on board. Julio Cesar, Champions League winner. Mm. Get him on board as well. Oh, we'll get him on loan. Yeah. Andros Townsend for a couple of months. He'll do a job. It just feels like there's no actual like sort of thought as to the signings. It's just, well, I've he, heard he's half good. Get him in.
0: It's it's someone playing Football Manager or playing EWR again and going. <laughs> hey, he's at he's this certain level of over. He's got this certain level of credit with 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 fans of work. Right, we'll bring them in. Like it's yeah. There's no real rhyme or reason to it. But like you you touched on something sort of there, Joe. Because I'm more like I think the problem Ring of Honor is going to have over the next year or so is like did you see in the Observer today that came out? It, Meltzer said that in 2018 he'd given. More four star ratings than he ever had. It was like some ridiculous number, like 200 odd. And I think Ring of Honor's problem is going to be like when there is. I think the problem, the reason that the Melt has got that start I think wrestling in in some ways is better, but mostly I think a lot of it's that it's so much more accessible and we all see so much more. And I think when there's so much of that stuff out there, like. Is anyone going to have time for Ring of Honor? Like, I love Impact. I thought the Homecoming pay-per-view was fantastic. I love the LAX Lucha Brothers tag. It was a ridiculous spotty tag. The type that is right up my street. There was good things on that pay-per-view. And I enjoyed it. I haven't watched Impact since. Like, MLW, really good weekly TV show. I try and watch it. It's only an hour. I can't always get to it. Defiant Wrestling put a a decent little YouTube show out. I'm going to talk a little bit about that later. Um, There's so much... Good wrestling out there. I almost feel like, I mean, it's a question for all elite as well. Like, have people got the time in the day to watch it every single week or to follow promotions? Because it feels to me like what we've seen over two thousand eighteen is, and what we're going to see this year going forward is fans like us. You dip into to little bits that you can. You see the odd match that's been hyped. You you're gonna you're gonna jump in and watch a match or two. To consistently watch a product like that, you've got to be doing something special. And I don't think Ring of Honor are gonna be doing something special this year. And I think that's if anything gonna be the challenge for all elite to have something that's that's must watch in like the amongst and, and to stand out amongst all the, the noise of just four star plus matches and and great stuff that seems like it's happening everywhere and is just so readily accept uh, accessible now
2: yeah you said it exactly right like i can't follow products consistently anymore because there's too many out there and there's too much to watch and i've got a very busy life and i've got many other interests other than just wrestling uh so you know i've really got to prioritize what i want yeah, to you watch and what i want to mm. give my time up for um and yeah i don't have the time to watch impact on a weekly basis even though i've just praised it i've probably seen i i've not really seen a lot of mlw i've just flicked through a few episodes before i'd like to watch more of it if this was 10 years ago, I'd probably be watching MLW every week because there would have been a lot less product and stuff would be a lot less accessible. But now, it's, to me, it comes down to what do I want to give up the little time that I have like two in my spare time because i don't want to waste my spare time it's like i used to watch loads of shit films i used to love watching shit films i watch it on my own because i love films but i had a lot more time on my hands now when i watch a shit film i get angry so i'm like <laughs> i've just wasted two <laughs> hours of my life with that utter tripe uh, yeah it just winds me up so if i watch bad wrestling now I, again i get angry it's why i refuse to watch raw i'll dip into this andrada i'm oh, sorry i si- Almus or whatever his name is now against mysterio match and that'll be the first smackdown i would have touched probably since daniel bryan initially came back no i watched the daniel bryan aj the stars title change yeah. uh but yeah i've probably watched three like i've dipped into three maybe four episodes of smackdown in this entire year well it's 2019 now yeah, but all but, for last, yeah you yeah. know what i'm saying yeah yeah,
0: yeah. that's kind of the world that we're in now isn't it it's like when you make and when you make the time for something and it's not like of that high level, like it just feels like wasted time too. Like, I'm guessing that's how you felt about uh, the UK takeover this weekend, Joe. <laughs> just, a, just a hunch. I don't know if JP feels the same.
1: Well, it was interesting because I got to listen to to um, you guys and Martin on on the post show. Um, oh, blimey! Where do we start with it, Joe? I suppose just start off with Joe, Coffee, Pete Dunne, because that appears to be the thing that <laughs> caused we'll so, so much of the um, the kind of I say I wouldn't say controversy. Um,
0: I fall into polarizing is probably the word polarizing.
1: Like, I, I I don't know how in hell anyone could go to four stars on it because I have to first twenty five minutes. I, yeah, I was bored shitless. Oh, I, I mean, there's no other no way of getting around it shitless with a really great crowd willing it to be great but mm. not great it was kind of it's 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 not a fa- it's not a fair comparison but do you remember uh, tag league spoke about this with the Bobby Gunn's Ilya Dragunov match about actually how good was that match as a match in and of itself because the atmosphere around it kind of appeared to be the thing that was kind of almost carrying it and this was the crowd at Blackpool were kind of carrying it in that positive way but what I saw was Pete Dunne trying his absolute utmost to get a really great match out of someone who didn't appear to have the kind of conditioning to go that, that length of time. There was a couple of spots near the end that could have gone so horribly wrong when they fell off the top rope. Um, and there was stuff that was just, it just looked poor and you'd see coffee stood there. Um, I think on the grapple app I went two and and I've, I've not seen anything that, that kind of differed from that. I just thought that was that was bang average with a great crowd.
2: I think the difference between the Bobby guns uh, Ilya yeah. match and this match is Bobby Guns and Ilya worked to the crowd. Once they mm. realised the reaction that crowd yeah. were giving them, they realised that they need to work to that applause and that ovation. So they did. Whereas mm. Toffee and Dunn, had clearly had this match that they'd gone over with whatever agents it had been laid out to the nth degree and everything had been put in place at a certain mm. point in the match. And they worked to that. Mm. And yeah, the crowd were up for most of the well, for the more or less the entire match and were willing it to be good. And yeah, that helped to some extent, but they weren't, they weren't really working the crowd. Were they mm. really, when you think mm. they were working the match But they had planned out. So it's the difference, I think, between a show and a match being overproduced and a match being completely laid out by agents backstage because they need to have a good match on that show. And at times, I'm fine with that. I think, you know, WWE have put some great matches in the last few years from doing that sort of like over match level you look at the Sasha Banks Bailey match in NXT mm. that's a match that hugely benefits from having everything laid out in the match at various points um, there have been other examples of NXT matches I think as much as I've enjoyed some of the Gargano Champa matches I think they've actually not been a great influence in some ways because they've almost been almost, like I like story laden <laughs> matches but think Omega- yeah. Tanahashi was subtle those were so blatant in the way that they told the story, and I think that the NXT style at this point in main events has become completely mm. obsessed with telling the story, and there was so mm. much of that in the Dunn coffee match, not that it's the same level of you know storyline or at the same level of depth as Gargano Champa, but you could tell that they weren't working organically. Think about that spot where um, Joe Coffee goes flying off a turnbuckle and pete dunn doesn't and then they like sort of work around a little bit more and then went straight back to the spot and they both Mm. fell off the turnbuckle and it's like oh that just takes me out of the match because you know that they're like oh shit shit we didn't execute the spot right what's, I don't know, Terry Taylor going to say backstage when we get back there that we didn't do this spot that you wanted us to do. It just feels like there's that
0: culture. Oh, it's Shawn Michaels. It's definitely Shawn Michaels.
2: Okay, but yeah, it just feels like there's that culture of fear where you don't want to, you know, let the agent down for going <laughs> against the script or whatever. And I think that that ruins it for, for, to some degree. But that's also not to say that Joe Coffee isn't just shit.
0: i think yeah that's kind of the pushback we got didn't we because like jp alluded to joe you joined me on the we did a a post show on post wrestling we're not going to go through it match by match here but we went through the match by match and went through this through the full show on the night of it and we got a lot of pushback from people based on this match because it felt like when i was watching it live most of the people whose whose opinion i kind of read a lot and people i follow on twitter were all kind of in agreement with me that the first half was so so boring. And like Joe said, the the crowd kind of it into being this event of a match more than anything. But then, yeah, we got so much pushback, and like even on the Grapple app, like uh, I think the average came out uh, around four stars, uh, just under four stars, I believe it was. And like uh, Gareth, who runs the the Grapple app, which you can get on Android, iTunes, <laughs> gave me a, a breakdown of kind of what people have been rating, and four stars was the most common rating for the match. It's just like I wondered whether. I think part of it is you know, people who've got maybe more patience for those melodramatic spots, which just aren't for me. I think a lot of it's people who went live as well, people who were there live, seem to have a much higher opinion of the match than me. But then again, even, even Meltzer, who had a lot of the same criticisms that we did, gave it 3.75 stars. I gave it 3 myself, which felt generous. I could probably go lower. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It. I think it's... It's. I think. I think a lot of the argument you'll find. I think uh, Meltzer himself directly says, at the end of the day, if the crowd do get into it to the level that they did get into it, then it's job done, isn't it? Uh, maybe. Do you think that that's maybe the reason that people are a lot more charitable on it than us?
1: I. D- I think ultimately, coming out of this match, the impression I got is a lot of the love comes because Pete Dunne is a star to a lot of people, particularly live in that crowd. Mm. However. As a result, afterwards, where does coffee come out of this? Coffee doesn't, I don't think coffee comes out thinking, well, here's a guy who's gonna be a sort of around that main event scene in NXT UK. It kind of feels like this is pretty much one and done. So in terms of what and so if it's such a great match. I'm going to be fascinated to see, well, what is ultimately Joe Coffey going to get out of this? I think a lot of it came from the fact that Pete Dunne is incredibly over and they've done a hell of a job in terms of, you know, having him on Good Morning Britain, for example, and things like that. You know, that kind of level of in, of investment in him and how they feel about him is the thing I think that, that gets the reaction as much as anything else. But, you know, God, imagine if it had been Dunne versus Devlin on, on that show. I mean, and I suppose, you know, going on to the sort of rest of the show compared to normal NXT NXT takeovers. I thought this was a lot of it was at the level of good. Only really the opener came to anything that was like, Oh, that was great. That was really great fun. And after that, it was like sort of uh, a sort of a very sort of middling bunch of matches at time where, you know, Finn Balor's not someone I've been into for a really long time, you know, hearing him at press conferences and stuff talk about, you know, well, I was wrestling for 15 years, but I've really learned in the last two years, I think he was, it was two, three years, basically he's learned where the hard camera is and somebody's worked with him on his promos. So it's like, right, okay, it's, it's this, the version of him that I see isn't a version that I'm, particularly into i can get the appeal of a devlin match but that's something that should be built to sounds very massively uh,
2: sounds very jim smallman like doesn't it that sort of uh, bala comment there if
1: anything yeah just like it it it, it, it still felt like this was wwe finn bala you know it was mm. it was good but it i was looking forward to a travis banks match Uh, You know, I wanted to see two people who were kind of going to go all out to put on a really great match and steal the show, and I never felt that as soon as Balor came out, it's like, well, I know what the result's going to be here, and he'll give obviously Devlin a lot more than he normally would do, but. At the end of the day, this is a guy who's going to be challenging Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble. But what you gave
2: Devlin did nothing for him. I don't want to repeat the same points (laughs) I made on the post-show, but I suppose I am (laughs) to some extent. Uh, But you can listen to that uh, over at post-wrestling if you want to. But uh, this match did no one any favours, De- what Devlin got in the match didn't do him any good. His character, Popped the so crown. His character, yeah. On, on for, for the moment, it's mm. WWE's moment book. And again, on the night, uh, he didn't do a great deal. Mm. He didn't get over long term stemming from the match either. They managed to put all of the shite in Baller heap back onto devlin that he'd done such a great job of shelving after it being attached for so long and also travis banks who could have had a killer match on this night with devlin they could have made two stars on the night to carry this brand Mm. and instead they made no one they just got a moment for finn balor
1: because he's going to go and get squashed by Brock Lesnar at the end of this month. And I think the argument as well is is that, well, Travis Banks and Jordan Devlin had a match at the tapings. The issue is those tapings aren't going to get anywhere near the amount of traction that you would have had at the takeover. I'm not going to watch it. Are you? Well, the chances are is it will be released and I will almost completely forget about it until it appears and I know what happens in the match. So I'm there thinking, OK, I'm going to wait to see what it is, but it's not something I'll be necessarily excited about watching live.
3: Yeah.
1: That that kind of has gone for me. But I feel ripped off. I wanted to mm. watch that
2: match overnight. I didn't get the match that was advertised. And I didn't get an upgrade either. I got a downgrade.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it. And I think that the, like I think just the, the a Travis Banks Devlin match had a had a much higher ceiling than the kind of what we got. But I think that's a big part of like what the the difference I've seen in the feedback has been the people who love this show, love that as a moment, um, especially the people there live. And I bet yeah, you know, a WWE main roster star coming out live is like, you know, reaction. Mm. yeah, I know he's a raw star. It's a big deal. Whoa. But that, you know...
2: <laughs> oh my God. He's playing musical chairs. <laughs>
0: hey, that stuff got over.
2: Um, oh mate, but I yeah, was I, think- there, I was there about time thinking should I be into this? <laughs> yeah. like, should should I be into this because I'm not. Yeah. I think this is cheap and I think they've bought them off cheaply here and they've distracted from a major issue. But hey, well, I'm just not that sort of person am I? I don't <laughs> I don't like being told to have fun. I like finding <laughs> fun.
0: As as I as said, that was the uh, the Progress Birmingham show wasn't it where he came out where they were running the same day as <laughs> The first WWE UK yeah. tournament, and I I was such a hardcore progress fan that I refused to go, refused to go watch the evil WWE, and kept my progress Birmingham ticket. <laughs> how times have changed. <laughs> <laughs> but Sounds yeah, like you were them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I think I mean people were a lot higher on that match than me. I don't think anything was bad on the show. Being honest, no. I think I thought the the opening tag. I mean, maybe it got lost in the conversation. Was for me a really good opening tag. I don't think it was, you know, close to a five star match or anything. I think Meltzer was a little bit uh, generous in what he gave it, but it was a decent match. I thought the pretty much everything in the middle of the car was decent. Balor and Devlin. I didn't love it. I didn't love the booking, but it wasn't bad. Mm. The main event I thought was extremely boring. But again, if you get the crowd in it to the level that they did and depending on your take on whether you're into that level of drama, I wouldn't say it was a bad match. I just didn't think it was a very good match. I thought everything was okay. But I think for a lot of the people, it was kind of—it's whether you've got the appetite for for more NXT, more NXT takeover. It was very much it mirrored entirely the the structure of every takeover you've ever seen, you know, from from the hot open to the dramatic main event to the to the big reveal at the end. And I think a lot of it's whether what you really want are of it. where you know, dies in the wool indie fans who. Don't really have an appetite for the WWE version of of progress or a WWE version mm. of uh, of independent wrestling. Where I do think maybe some people are 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 more wanting of that, you know, a polished indie product in some ways, and you know, an extension of more NXT. You know, I think the the regular NXT is kind of enough of of that style for me. But I do think, yeah, maybe some have got more patience than me for for that style as a product, and it maybe ticked all of the boxes for them where it didn't for me because maybe I don't really want to, to see that style so much. I'm not as big into to NXT as a lot of people are. This is,
1: the, this is the thing for me that I'm finding is that, that what NXT in the US, they, they have managed to do generally, is put on effectively indie level, indie style shows on the network for sort of two and a half hours that are there that will say the things that we want to just oh, in matches and but the issue is here is that this doesn't appear to be kind of sort of putting on what we would think of as a uk indie style card there's like a complete lack of edge to a lot of this and while i was happy to see say walter come out there's part of me that is going to ultimately think, you know, what kind of matches is he going to end up having there as well? He'll have good matches. I I don't doubt that. I just kind of think, is it going to be a case of how this goes and how various storylines around it? Is it going to be a case where they're, you know, already they were doing them as tag team partners up against Gallus at the tapings and stuff like that. You know, that kind of stuff feels like it's very pedestrian booking and there doesn't appear to be anything that's sort of really outside of the box. Anything that actually feels uniquely British?
0: Yeah, I was going mm. to the exact same. Point. This, this is affected. It's the buildings, and that's it. Yeah, that's the only thing that feels British is the build. Because you hear all the Americans, the Canadians go, "Oh, how amazing are those buildings?" That's it. Yeah, that's the only. The buildings that's the are only are selling Fans
1: Britain, large majority of the talent are are
0: true. Are, the atmosphere, yeah, the atmosphere.
1: are British, it? but they're wrestling an American style for a way mm. to please ultimately please, are WWE fans, isn't it? That's,
0: yeah. that's You what look at how
2: uniquely British some of the early progress booking was, right? Mm. And th- there's none of that here. There's no edge to any of it. It just nah. feels like...
1: Got that wrestling, if anything. It's, mm. it's British in a way because there's always a union jack and a couple of lions around the
3: place, isn't it, Basic. <laughs> a
2: couple of phone boxes.
1: Yeah, so here we go.
2: And I'll tell you what, for you not to be that into Devlin Baller, I know. And you're about as fucking Irish, plastic Irish <laughs> as they come, you know. Yeah, pretty much. If Keith Duffy and Shane Lynch had a match, you'd be there,
1: I reckon. I'd probably be, probably be more up for that. Hey, there was no built-in, obviously. Though? Like I'd be all over that with the, you know, battling for the Ace of Ireland. I'd love to think in some sort of fantasy <laughs> dream unit. Isn't that but... you? Aren't you the
0: Ace of Ireland, JP?
1: I, I very much am not. No. <laughs> Is that the, the new Andy Townsend of Ireland, as I said before? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm better than Andy Townsend of and that stuff. Oh. Tony Cascarino? Hey, well, there's a whole other story with him. Turns out he shouldn't have even been eligible in the first place. Yeah, another no. story for another time. I'll say that for the Tony Cascarino podcast. I look forward to that. Um, but this is, yeah, it, it you know, having it being built to is something that I'd be completely down with. But ultimately being thrown out there without mm. any kind of build to it because you've got Balor over and he's been over at the, you know, the, the various performance center stuff, which weirdly I know where the location of that is. It's, it's all very, you know, sort of very nondescript um, industrial park in Enfield. Good luck to them for that. They're going to be bored shitless on any lunch breaks around there. There's a big Morrison's, <laughs> a big Morrison's nearby. Bit of a walk oh. to a Tesco's, but that's it.
0: I can imagine you just hanging around the Morrison's, just in the hope that you're going to bump into your hero Jordan. Devon. Well, I've I've got neither of my
1: parents in 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 London anymore. Because otherwise, that would have been oh. the case. There would have been. I used to live about a sort of fifteen minute walk from where it is. <laughs> But, yeah, it'd be weird for a 40-year-old man to be knocking around an industrial park in Enfield don't. That's well, never know, a good thing.
2: You talk. knocked around an industrial park in Manchester for a weekend once. and you felt, I did. You felt all right about that. But Jeff Jarrett was there. Yeah, there.
0: that's so, it. <laughs> yeah. To, to be fair, a 40-year-old man knocking around them field sounds like most of WWE's mm-hmm. signings these days. They don't seem to sign anyone under 35. So <laughs> you've still got it, JP. It could how, still work.
1: How do we feel about this performance centre, by the way? Because I, I'm not quite sure. Is it meant to be a finishing school? Are they going to take people That's, from scratch?
0: I'm confused on it because, you know, I, I think the, 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 all the photos came out and they've basically got two rings and some workout equipment. It's not the performance centre that they have in the US. I don't know... You know exactly how it's going to work but it feels Meltzer did say that you know there's going to be i think he said in the observer today 30 to 50 trainees there at a time so somehow they're going to fit them all in there and and have them there but yeah it's uh i, I don't think it's going to be it's obviously you know a mini version of what they've got going on in the states Um i think it's just a way to have a presence here isn't it rather than you know For like Mm. Devlin and and people like that living there full time.
2: Well, I made the point on the post podcast again about the location. And if this is going to be a full time gig for the guys, I kind of feel from a bit because you know London rents, even out that side of London, they're not going to be it's not expensive. It's not going to be cheap for them. Getting a mortgage Mm. On these retainers they've got, earning, what, 20 grand for sure a year. How secure are those retainers as well? Yeah, exactly. This isn't a secure situation at all, whereas at the Orlando Performance Centre and what's around in the location there and it's all much more secure it's much more
1: rosy uh, it says do have an apartment complex or sort of like some sort of deal with apartment complexes yeah, in, th- in th- orlando i
2: know a guy who lived in the same complex as um balor actually but oh. that's another story for another time um but yeah it's all very odd i hmm. choosing that location i think they should have been looking for somewhere in the midlands and I, again, I think it's just them, like you said, better having some presence in the market. It felt like a mm. PR opportunity to me to some mm. degree. And yeah, yes, I'm sure yeah. that, I don't know, Johnny Saint can be housed there and they can try and <laughs> send him send and learn lines. So I'll <laughs> Scala doesn't have to handle the bulk of the work.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it. I, th- I think it's, yeah, it's a, it's a performance center on the cheap. That's kind of mm. my read on it. Uh, but again, we're, uh, we're bitter indie fans, so what do we know? Um, any other thoughts on NXT UK or the, uh, or, the or the better show that uh, occurred on the uh, WWE network that night?
2: Oh, I got plenty of thoughts on that.
0: <laughs> yeah, the beginner's documentary uh, that was I, I, again. I'd, I thought NXT UK takeover was a good show wouldn't say a bad show didn't blow me away the McGuinness documentary on the other hand I thought that was fantastic I thought it was better than his documentary it was just more a bit more concise they used all the same footage Um, plus it's kind of as much as we'll rail on WWE on this podcast it is kind of cool to see that story that you know the likes of me and you Joe being hardcore Ring of Honor fans back in the day followed along in real time getting to see that you know up you know in a place where lots more people are going to get to see. Yeah, you're definitely
2: right. I think I take Nigel beginners. I've been taking it for granted in many ways. He's just, I'm just used to seeing him on commentary at this point. And this was, you know, it took me right back to when, you know, I was a massive ring of honor fan. I was massively into him. He was one of my, he's one of my favorite wrestlers ever, I think. And this took me back on that journey. And for years, I've wanted this story to be told on some form of mainstream platform. I've always said, if WWE swallow up a Ring of Honor, we got some great documentaries coming. We really have. Mm-hmm. Um, probably better than what Ring of Honor can provide us in Ring at the moment, maybe. I'd certainly <laughs> be watching the documentaries. But yeah, this was an example of uh, WWE being just very good at putting out this type of documentary. Um, The production value, obviously, was a lot higher than what McGuinness was doing, and this was made by people who make documentary-type features for a living, whereas McGuinness was doing it in a very DIY sort of fashion. And what he did for a DIY feature-length documentary I thought was decent, and it told a good story. Some of the editing left a bit to be desired, but, you know.
0: It felt like a money – yeah, I think he did a lot of it himself. He did, yeah. All of it himself. To be honest, at the time when it all happened and he was asking for money for it, I was one of those fans who was a bit like – What's he need the money for if he's producing it and editing himself? It was very, it was his retirement fund, is, is the way I always saw it. Uh, a really sad story, and I'm glad he got it done. But I always thought that was a little bit dodgy when it happened. Um, and again, yeah, I remember when I when I did see the final product, and maybe while like this, the the slicker WWE version of it was, yeah, the the actual final editing job. Although the story was great, wasn't the best, and it's probably again because he did it himself because well he needed to save that money.
1: Are you saying it's great because you were on it?
0: <laughs> I am on it too. Yeah, there is that. There's a freeze. Only in the freeze frame you can see me in the crowd. There's a, as yeah, as the show in the air. Him and the, him and Brian head ring posts. Um, oh. It was it was a it was a tough watch. It was front row, literally the closest person to that happening, uh, being my mate Paul. Um. Yeah. The, I. I haven't been co-opted though, and I've not been uh, paid anything for my to be network appearance.
2: You can see me as well at one point, but you don't oh, really see, you, can yeah, you? you? don't see me throwing a bottle at Daniel Bryan at any point. So <laughs> they managed to cut that bit out, thank God, because that was a <laughs> that was a low moment. I got to <laughs> oh, say. God.
0: I. We were, were you. I mean, Joe, you're a bigger Nigel fan than me, obviously, by the fact that you threw a bottle at a. Oh, Anderson, I was.
2: I was heated up that night. Yeah
0: i kind of that i don't know whether it was being so close to that spot because people all say oh you know looking back they shouldn't have done it genuinely like i remember being there thinking this is disgusting they've gone too far they shouldn't be doing this it was horrible it was awful and i i I kind of felt that i think maybe that stuck in my brain then because when they went with nigel and they made him the top guy and they talk about it in the documentary you know that the he tore his bicep and you know was constantly giving himself concussions because he was constantly trying to push harder with that harder style I wasn't into that I really wasn't into Nigel to the to the level that I know a lot of ring of honor fans are and I think part of it was just that I didn't really that that style just wasn't really for me
2: I think I was completely invested in his style story at that point in time and his rise as a wrestler because he you know he was a real real talent and i loved the adaption and his style as well because i just thought it made him a more well-rounded wrestler if anything and it added more of a drama to his matches and it added a drama to his kind of quest for the title as well
0: um- until then, he was kind of open and match technical guy, wasn't he? Until he did add like the strong style stuff.
2: Yeah, well, they gave him the pure title, didn't they? And it was mm. sort of during the pure run, he started adding bits and pieces in. And then him and Brian, where he started adding bits in, sort of more strong styles type stuff. And then Brian started doing little bits where he started doing, the, you know, uh, using his strikes more in matches, being a bit more explosive as well. I honestly think, as in ring wrestlers, they both really lifted one another as in-ring talents. I think in terms of opponents, I think he's Daniel Bryan's, I think they're one another's best opponent, but I think he's Bryan's best opponent. And I think Bryan would possibly say that himself as well. Because I think you can tell that there's a real connection between them based on those matches. To me, it's like a tragic love story in in, to some degree it's like um, La La Land where they both help one another to get to that destination and to that goal but then once they reach that destination they just can't be together anymore and then one of them maybe doesn't get necessarily what he wants and there's just this tragedy to it but there's still that connection and i always wanted to see them back together i always wanted this reunion i always romanticized it and I, I, maybe you could compare it to that last scene in la la land where emma stone walks into the uh, club at the end and sees ryan gosling's got his club finally and they give each other that little wink. Um, uh, yeah, I just think there's a romantic element to mm. it for me. I maybe sound like a bit of sap, I know. But, mm. yeah, they were two wrestlers that I was very young. I was 19 in 2006 at that Unified show, and that match made a huge impression on me and really got me invested in both guys.
0: Mm. I, I think...
2: are how we first met, Joe. Uh, it's how we first... What, what a defining weekend in my life that was. <laughs>
0: uh, it's all. It's also the weekend where the morning after the match... I was the person who had to wake Nigel up from his hotel room to get him to get... I, I was I was organising the bus for the wrestlers to get from Liverpool to Broxbourne and I had to knock on all the doors and wake all the wrestlers up. And Nigel, who'd been at the hospital all night, got up, still bloody in his forehead, and two ropey-looking women <laughs> that he may or may not have picked up at the Grafton followed him <laughs> out of his room. Uh, so i got to so he did he despite all the injury he did still have a very good night Um but yeah i was the knob who had to wake him up from uh from that slumber and and get him going for the second day he didn't come on the bus he had, he had i think he had like a hall of fame thing he was going to that day as well uh, but that'll always stick on my brain from that weekend as as well as uh meeting you as well joe for the first oh, time
2: cheers mate very nice here i think uh didn't roderick strong like start on you or something when you woke him up as well
0: Yeah, Jimmy Rave wasn't happy either. Jimmy Rave had took his missus over and they they weren't happy that I was banging. Alex Shane being the the cheapskate that he is, I'd organised a bus trip for fans from Liverpool to Broxbourne to go to the show. He came to a deal to add the wrestlers onto my coach and paid me some dumbass 19-year-old fan um, who was putting on a fan coach to take the wrestlers. I had the full responsibility of getting the entire Ring of Honor roster on that coach. Um, But yeah, Alex Shane didn't tell the wrestlers that it was a fan that was picking them up, so they weren't happy about that. Didn't tell them that I was going to be knocking on the door at half eight in the morning, so none of them, Jimmy Rave mainly, Roddy Strong as well, we're not happy about that too. And then, yeah, they, uh, they got to spend the whole trip with me, you, Joe, and uh, a couple of our other mates, James, he was one um, on the bus all the way down to, to Broxbourne, um, stuck with all these fans <laughs> to say they weren't happy. was, uh, was to say the least.
2: Yeah. But what a weekend, but yeah, going back to the documentary as well. Um, I think the selection of footage they had in this as well really Mm. benefited it. I think the fact that TNA and Ring of Honor are willing to, you know, let WWE borrow some of their footage at this point in time as well is a really good step Um, Mm. because you can tell that full story with this footage in there. And for me, that was what made this complete because I remember when he turned up in TNA, I was confused. I was devastated. If I'm honest with you, he made the most of a bad situation when he was able to. It wasn't a bad situation, but, you know, he wanted to be in WWE. And I got the impression watching this, I reckon he might do a match, you know. I reckon he might be tempted. There was just a little something at points that made me think,
1: is he hinting at possibly doing something here? Yeah, I could see it happening. And it definitely felt like there was hints about that throughout, uh, towards the end of the documentary. Like there's that kind of unrequited dream and it plays into a natural story um where and when it would take pace and place and how you would do it and make it feel organic and also he's got very strongly held views on the type of match that he would want to do i imagine him and brian just that would be obviously the the one to go down we've spoken you guys spoken you know so I think much brian about him
2: would love to do it as well yeah, I think that would be like the fulfillment of a dream for McGuinness. I think, oh man, I'd want to be there if they did that match. Even mm. if they do it on an NXT TakeOver UK, I doubt they will. But I... I'd, I'd, I'd fuck off my WWE UK embargo. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <to> <laughs> I think I think Gibson's the more likely, isn't it? I think yes. just based on the documentary, based on like how much Gibson. It's funny because when I first started seeing Zach Gibson, he was like a CM Punk clone, and then he kind of morphed into what he is now. Um, but he always did a lot of Nigel stuff, so he can... the influence is heavy. They he were very heavy handed with that stuff mm-hmm. in the documentary. You could imagine him ripping into McGuinness on commentary and pouring oh. out. I don't know whether it's the best thing for Nigel because it does seem like I don't know. There's his retirement just seems a bit weird, like the way they played it in the documentary you know the i to be honest at the time was didn't hundred percent buy the whole story about the you know the fact that it, it was just all a bit awkward, wasn't it the way he went to t n a and he had the he obviously had the arm issue and then he quietly disappeared from t n a and then there was the hepatitis B stuff and then mm-hmm. he quietly retired and then obviously you know he's talked at length about having you know difficulty accepting that and having mental health issues there. I don't know whether it it, it'd be right for the man, Nigel McGuinness, to come back and wrestle. Mm. I don't know whether it would be... Maybe it'd give him that moment that, like, he's obviously sad he didn't get. But at the same time, I wonder if he's just better off just sticking on commentary as much as I'd enjoy, you know, a Zach Gibson talking out, or, you know, doing a Brian match as long as he didn't do the headbutts.
2: One match, maybe two matches... I think he'd be all right. He can go back to commentary. It'll be fine. And it'll be the fulfillment of a lifelong dream Mm. for the bloke. And, you know, this dream's well-documented at this point. And it's not as if his dream will be, I want to wrestle in WWE. Here's a WWE UK contract. You know, he's touring with WWE as a commentator, and he'd get to do a match to kind of, you know, sign off and actually have a bit of closure on his career to some point to some degree and i'd be very happy for him to do that um it's something i'd love to see um it's something that would if it was in the on the uk brand i'd rather it not be but it would get me interested in Mm. in the uk brand it's probably one of the only things that can get me interested at this
1: point so it would get gibson over massively
2: yeah absolutely yeah
1: which i'd be fine with yeah yeah. And, and that would be that would be definitely a way forward. I mean I just wanted to say about in terms of the documentary as well, part of the reason I thought it worked so well is it doesn't contain a lot about WWE. Um, the strongest parts of the documentary are, are a story that generally they never tell where that it's it's you know it's not a necessarily a happy story. And sometimes I think that in terms of the best documentary they've done, when I think of the AWA one, I think of even ECW to a degree, something that has that sort of bit of pathos behind it gets you sort of emotionally connected. And I thought they did a really good job with this one. It's like they didn't go overboard with the kind of mood music stuff, trying to kind of emotionally manipulate, manipulate you, although they always do to a certain degree. I think for this, it, I can see them going down the route of, of the one match, but I'd, I'd certainly like to see them producing more content like this. I mean, this is a much better use of the network than I've said it once, say again, that story time shite.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely.
2: One last point Dude. I want to make on the documentary as well is it really got me in the mood to go back and watch some Nigel McGuinness <laughs> And I tried to look for the unified match, and I didn't have a copy of it. And I found a copy on YouTube that they had this crap Ring of Honor border on, and then the songs were dubbed over. So I had a copy of um, a match of Ezra only seen once from Rising Above 2 in Chicago in 2008, which I think was their second-to-last match together, oh my God, it was incredible. This is a proper five-star match if you've ever seen one. And it was interesting because I watched it just after I'd watched Joe Coffey and Pete Dunne. And I was watching this thinking, right, this is a proper match. This is a five-star match. And I was thinking to myself, a lot of the people talking about how great Coffee Dunne was. I think they just haven't been exposed to a lot of, great wrestling really and i think they've come to this kind of fresh and maybe come to the indies and slightly different wrestling to wwe in the last year two years or so and they haven't had that run of seeing what we kind of had the privilege of seeing i think benno with ring of honor which in many ways maybe rooted our tastes in sort of independent wrestling expanded our knowledge got us watching other stuff as well certainly did for me and I'm so glad that my kind of first exposure to wrestling outside of WWE was Ring of Honor and not NXT UK. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're gonna get those gatekeeper shouts again here, Joe. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like it's funny because I, I always think of progress, like, I was bang into Ring of Honor. I wonder how much of that stuff holds up now i would like to go back and do a rewatch and do what you were saying about going and watching that unified match i know ring of honor make it hard because the the crap with the back catalog even if you're not a club member i've got years ago and i'll admit it i downloaded a big fat torrent with all the ring of honor shows from about 2002 to 2008 um and there's no other promotion i can think of i'd like their glory period that I would do that for and I want to have like like, sat there on a on hard at least from an independent point of view obviously you know there's there's bigger stuff out there um, if you go years back but yeah I, I think progress kind of for me fit that if you, I think a lot of people got into UK indies through progress in the same way that we got into Ring of Honor. In the very early days of progress, I think the music, the way they booked it, the way it was a super indie in some ways, reminded me a little bit of, of Ring of Honor. Um, and that was kind of the closest I came to to that that level of, of, of fandom um, that, I, that i had with ring of honor was it felt like progress was going to be a similar thing um but yeah god help the people who yeah who's i mean you've got it you've got to get into it some way um <laughs> you know i got i got into hip-hop through P. Diddy and will smith <laughs> And then I was like, I like the Wu-Tang Clan about six months later. You've got to start somewhere. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, uh, it, it, it's not the best starting point, but maybe yeah, uh, I feel a little bit bad for the people getting in that way, but maybe it'll lead to them finding the better. Oh, yeah. If,
2: if you listen, you're into that. Go, go and find this match. Nigel McGuinness versus Brian Danielson, rising above two, 2008 in Ring of Honor, rabid crowd in Chicago, great atmosphere. Little things in this match like... The way they work holds, honestly. The way they work holds. I think of that Joe Coffey fucking bear hug in that match. And the way they're working holds in this match. Ah, oh, it adds so much mm. to the match. Just the way they're thinking about putting a hold on, applying it, thinking about how you can twist it, use <laughs> it to advance the story in the match. It's such a great match. Uh, honestly, Benno, mm. get off of here tonight and go and watch that match again because it's it's great. <laughs>
0: We'll start that retro podcast the other day, Joe. Give us 30 years. <laughs> Before we get into kind of one of our well, our main subject, which is talking uh, you guys' trip to, to RevPro, I did want to make a note as well that uh, this last couple of weeks uh, since we did our last show, I've, I've been watching a little bit of Defiant Wrestling as well on their TV. and you know, OJP. you've been tipping mm. into. Um, it's a good lead into kind of the Rev Pro talk because the main reason I watched last week's episode was, and I, I, then I caught up a little bit with some of the the back catalogue was to see Pac and Neville. Uh, did you see that episode with the um, the dynamite? Uh, sorry, the dynamite kids' uh, nephews on. Uh, is that the one you? Yeah, were? but I
1: haven't seen that match. I saw the I saw oh. the second half of it, so I saw
3: oh.
1: from I think it was General Amin talking. Uh, so, I think it was oh, with Brian Kirby. No um because yeah i ended up watching it live was it on monday i think
0: it, yeah, yeah they, they can't they had a problem i think it's, it's sunday night, sunday night. Uh, yeah. they have a problem they have a problem where they i think the youtube like notification didn't go out to people who subscribed or something i think they were kind of chasing viewers so it didn't do as well as normal but it's a solid little show yeah. it goes to like kind of that like conversation we talked about earlier about you know there being so many so much good wrestling out there that's reachable And this is another one of those products that it's right there. It's on YouTube. You can easily watch it. And a lot of people won't. But if I was going to talk anything up, I would talk that episode up. I really, like you You said, you didn't see the the, 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 the dynamic. Is it the dynamic duo or something like that? They call them themselves. It's essentially Dynamite Kids, two nephews who I think I I talked about briefly on the show uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, I saw them. Like around the time dynamite died and it does link into that story i saw uh, people who i follow on facebook sharing a video of them training and they were running through spots and they pretty much on this tv show did that same thing and again joe linking it to ring of honor of years gone by it was like they're definitely not the finished article but they were out there running like they did a 10 minute match against each other one of them um thomas it is thomas billington looks the absolute spit of his uncle as well so it's worth seeing just for that but it was like an early 2000s indie match that you'd see like like a ring of honor opener like quiet storm and amazing red and those kind of wrestlers it was like they're out there doing a tribute to their uncle and doing all of like his kip-ups and doing all of like his suplex spots on the outside and his, and his tombstone. I mean, if anyone saw the gifts of it, maybe that's enough and maybe that's all you need to see. But I just wanted to mention it because it was so entertaining. Like I say, running they were running a million miles an hour. There wasn't much um, psychology to what they're doing the training with Marty Jones. So I was a little Gosh. bit surprised that Fundamentally, what's going on there? No, uh, no, there didn't seem to be many real fundamentals. But as far as an exciting ten-minute running through spots and doing crazy shit, two thousand and two kind of opener, I would, I would highly recommend watching it, especially again for that that Tommy Billington, who looks the uh, the better of the two.
2: Sounds like an early Jay Briscoe versus Mark Briscoe sort of match to me, if anything. Mm. What I would like, yeah, that's the kind of thing. Was, what I would like you said about Marty Jones. I think this is an opportunity. Marty Jones brings the la- the Billington lads into uh, Rev Pro to confront Josh mm. Bodum because we never got the Marty Jones Josh Bodem <laughs> oh.
3: playoff.
0: So is Marty is Marty Jones like their like their I don't know their the, the backup? He's like their um, oh yeah. He's like their
2: <laughs> easily wait. Well, Do you remember him and Bodum doing the angle at the end of the first
0: Cup? yeah Marty yeah.
2: Jones wanted it out with him oh yeah I, I want to see that paid <laughs> off at some point so you get the Billington Bulldogs in there on a Bodeman. and looks like Bodham and David Starr might be forming some sort of partnership in Rev Pro so yeah I'm well up for that
0: brings in the lads it could definitely work um yeah potential is the word and I mm. do kind of have a When I saw a bit of the training footage a couple of months ago, it was like, I was thinking, I wonder who's going to be the first, like notable kind of indie to bring them in. And, yeah, I think they're, they're doing a couple of shows around the Northwest. They're doing uh, This Is Wrestling next month. Uh, but I would, yeah, I'd say just watch, even if you only watch the GIFs or you watch a couple of oh. the spots, there's bags of potential there, so it's worth seeing. And, yeah, let's. I think, yeah, they could uh, they could definitely, with a bit more training, add something to a Rev Pro card because, uh, yeah, they uh, they do look like they, they might be very good. I think so. I
1: mean, it'd be, it'd be good for them to see working those sort of really, really small indies first before perhaps mm. perhaps stepping.
0: that's the idea yeah. i think like yeah. um i was that?
1: thinking of the fighting spirit shows that you go to they'd be
0: kind mm, of like, that'd be perfect for. like that be yeah
1: they'd anymore. be completely tailor-made for them
2: well as long as i don't get on the roids and i don't stop putting shotguns <laughs> under their pillow <laughs> at night and putting them to their future wives heads you know they got a good future hopefully in front of them
0: <laughs> that's it yeah Hopefully they've learned all the, the right lessons. Um uh, yeah, they they move forward in the right way. But yeah, I mean JP, you, you said <clears> you watched <throat> Pack Neville. I quite I liked it. I haven't loved um the stuff I've seen of Pac since he's left WWE. Um it was a it was probably the best thing I have seen him do. It was a really good match. He got a hero's welcome, um it being Newcastle. Uh, and David Starr was, was great as his opponent as well. Really good match. I mean, what did you make of it? And I suppose it, it leads into you seeing a, another notable uh, Pac match uh, this uh, last weekend.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for this David Starr match, I mean, it felt like it was it was a very good match. I don't think, you know, I think Pac saving himself, whatever the whether or not that's for the Adam Page match for double or nothing, it appears to be that he's really sort of saving himself up for a sort of mega match over here. While Spray. Yeah. 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 That, that, that hopefully will be, that hopefully would be the one, but this was very good. And, and David Starr, you know, is an excellent opponent for him. Um, I liked in terms of the, the finish as well. He stayed true to the character with the low blow and then hitting the, the Falcon arrow. Um, it was, it was, a it was, it was very good. It wasn't necessarily great, but, he He feels still like somewhat of an enigma at the moment in terms of his role as we're going to get on to with the the match he had with um Zack Sabre jr as well. I'm not quite sure, and I suppose we'll have a much better idea after the high stakes and after the OTT show of what really his role is going to be in Britain and working so many oh, sorry in Britain and Ireland and hopefully europe where where is he going to be after that? I mean, what do you think yourself? I mean, what the, in terms of th- this match? It was it was it was very very good and like an excellent TV match. But mm. I'm still waiting for it because I have to say with Zack Sabre Junior match that left a real <coughs> rotten taste in my uh, yes. mouth. Well,
2: I think with the Zack match.
1: I was convinced because it was interesting what they did on that show
2: as well because mm. every match suddenly had a time limit stipulation added to it. So it was like the, tw- tw- like the announcement was 20-minute time limit. And then during each match in that cockpit show, we were getting calls for five-minute intervals. And it was like, this is different. It's mm. interesting. And they've not done this before. And I thought to myself, uh, this is going to play into the Zack and Pack match. So mm. I would go an half-hour draw... And they might find a way of, you know, when it gets to 25 minutes, you've got five minutes left, and they go 26 minutes, 27 minutes. and It could be a good way of building drama in that match. Mm. That's what I was thinking. So I was sure it was going to a draw, or someone was going to pull out a win in the 29th minute, let's mm. say. And it just didn't happen. The first, well, how long did the match go? It must have gone over, it went over 20 minutes, I'm sure it did. I think it was 25 minutes well, that it that went. That 25 minutes that we got was absolutely awesome it really was it was some high end top level like professional wrestling it, what, mm. maybe it was because we'd seen some absolutely terrible women's matches for the whole show and in JP's case for the entire weekend before this that this just stood out even more but it was on for maybe one of the best matches i've seen maybe the best match in Cockpit history let's put it that way at least mm. it was absolutely brilliant but I just can't remember this as a great match because the finish was so unbelievably bad like you've got you're like 25 that. minutes into a match Zack Sabre Jr. kicks Chris Roberts against the ropes Pack falls down Roberts calls for a DQ Chris Roberts had just come out to a hero's welcome as he returned from Japan mm. which was weird and then all the negative oh, Roberts you shit was back on Chris <laughs> Roberts at the end and the Chris Roberts heat pisses me off at the best of times, but I imagine it's going to go through the roof this time. Now, this was a month after he'd refereed a match where he'd not DQ David star for spitting at him and all sorts. So, on one hand, you can argue, oh, it was trying to rehab his character, that he's not going to stand for that stuff anymore because he made a mistake last month by costing El Fantasmo the belt. I'm talking in kayfabe terms, obviously. But at the same time, he's letting all this stuff go in another big match the month before. So it just feels like there's a lack of consistency between the two main events Mm. two months in a row. And considering the price of this was ramped up an extra tenner as well, I've never seen people leave a cockpit show angry or frustrated or not really feel satisfied. And this weekend was the first time that's ever happened. People were leaving pissed off they paid more money to come to this show finished later on a Sunday yeah and finished I think, by 9 and I think we're kind of spoiled yeah. um, with these cockpit shows sometimes because it's like you feel like you're part of some exclusive club 200 people some great wrestling but charging a bit of extra money and not delivering on this, especially you know it almost felt like it was teased with all the five-minute calls and mm. the rest of it. Maybe that was just a coincidence. Maybe that was me thinking ahead too much. But it just didn't – I felt ripped off. And I think everyone leaving felt kind of ripped mm. off as well and didn't feel happy about it. And uh, I don't know. I think it's going to – there's going to be a lot of skepticism going forward when PAX booked again on shows because it felt like this was a dodgy ending – Based around, you know, but him maybe having a contract with All Elite Wrestling that was announced. Is a it Dragon of days Gate wrestling? Is it Dragon Gate? New Japan mm-hmm. versus Dragon Gate. What was the issue of a draw here? Yeah, another five minutes, mm-hmm. end of a draw. And I, the thing I don't understand as well: if you've got this match, you've you've ch- you've wrapped the price up for it, right? It's a dream match, okay? It's taken a while to come out on the VOD. Now, if you have Zach versus Pac. 30 minute epic draw, no winner, like two men completely even. Dream match delivers you can market that in that way when you've got zap versus pack 25 minutes great dq ending shite ending you can't market that effectively and you're not going to build your subscription base this was a great opportunity if they went 30 minute draw for rev pro to get extra subscribers on who want to see this dream match a match that we would have probably come on here i'm not saying we've got some great influence on people but we would have spoken about very positively and it may have made a slight difference to some degree and people may have gone and subscribed based on the good word of mouth that it's getting on shows like this, potentially. And I just think they completely blew it that weekend.
0: Yeah, that's it. Hey, people, it's one of those things. It's like, I think this is the scene right now. It's politics. And it, I was kind of watching it kind of as the spoilers came mm. out. And as everyone their live started posting their reaction, and pretty much everyone to a man said what you just said there, Joe. Everyone was like, "Well, surely they could have just done a draw. Surely we just, you know, you could have got the same finish. It wouldn't be wouldn't be perfect, but it'd at least be a little bit more satisfying than what they did." I kind of saw that like that reaction absolutely everywhere. But to be this kind of stuff you know, and, and people say we don't criticize RevPro, but this is the kind of stuff that, you know, I'm very excited to go see Pac versus Osprey, but now I'm a little bit worried about going to see Pac versus Osprey. I've traveled yeah. a long way to come down to see this, this dream match. And that the finish to the Zack Sabre match didn't give me much confidence there. I'm a, it, or it put doubt in my head that I'm going I'm to, that I'm going to see a, a clean finish um, for this big match that I'm really excited for. And you don't want to pull, those kind of thoughts in fans' heads, do you? And I know a lot of it's, it can be unavoidable, but at the same time, like you say, there's there's nuance and there's there's things you can do. Maybe let's say they were hung over from um, that long trip back from from Wrestle Kingdom or something, because for me, it was just quite foolish booking, really, with a, especially with an eye for the future and again, you know, changing maybe. Uh, I think fans' expectations as to as to what they might think could happen for, for future matches and involving people like Pac. that's the crazy thing
1: if you told me at the start of the year you'll have basically a three-way three-person series between zach will osprey and pack in the uk for f pro i'd be absolutely buzzing about it and now i'm worried mm-hmm. now i'm thinking all right are we going to have zach come in and cause a, a dq finish in some way because there's the politics of pack's not going to have dropped the dragon gate title by then osprey's not going to have dropped the never title by then so like is that is that something that's actually going to be happening i mean and the fact you shouldn't go into a show with these kind of doubts because if you are then there's something that's gone wrong and you know the way that match was marked it was like high-end boutique wrestling like really was it was it was it was the it felt like kind of if hipster, res- hipster wrestling in that sense of putting on this kind of great dream match in this really intimate venue, kind of be, you know, found ourselves watching hold. It was like the, the I, I don't know if it came across on the VOD, but it felt like it It was kind of the crowd were intensely in the match. Oh yeah, I was completely invested in And we knew where it was going and everyone was fine with that because otherwise there would have been some sort of, you know, Perhaps some reactions from the crowd, but I think everyone thought, no, we're going to get half an hour of top quality wrestling between two of Britain's finest wrestlers around the world. And yeah, to echo Joe's thoughts, um, felt robbed of it and felt angry about it on the way back.
2: Yeah, I felt angry about it the next day as well, I think. Mm. Uh, yeah, it, was, it wasn't It was happy about it. And at the end, they brought Will Ospreay out as if they, that was going to distract from what we'd just seen and everyone was going to be happy yeah. about that. Why don't you just get Osprey involved in the finish? It would have furthered the storyline to some degree, and it might have felt more understandable on some level as well. It just felt like a cheap way of what was a great match. And... You know, I'm. I, I wouldn't recommend watching this match. As good as those first 25 minutes are, there isn't the payoff. It's like watching a great film and then being like, "Oh, well, this, well, this last act, fuck me, this is taken away from it." Was mm. that first, you know, two thirds of the film worth it, if anything? Like, yeah, I. I Just not happy about this. And all the shit about me not criticizing Rev Pro, it's a lot of bollocks anyway. Yeah, I like the promotion. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like my view on wrestling is pretty closely aligned with Andy Quilden's view on wrestling. Some of the stuff he says in his podcast, some of the 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 way he talks about it growing up as a kid, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember doing that. Lots of things I feel like I've got in common with the bloke. Probably why I don't end up criticizing him a lot, because it's maybe how I view wrestling to some degree as well but this wasn't good and when they're not doing stuff that isn't good i'm gonna criticize them it's not true anyway that i don't but hey selective <laughs> hearing and all that
0: that's it yeah if anyone listened to the ask rev joe podcast we did we said that right you're not on the payroll joe and uh yeah i think uh, <laughs> moments like this All that's it. If, it if it's bad it's bad mm. and it, it just the other problem as well is that like you said you know you wouldn't recommend people go out and watch it and they've taken so long to get the VOD out. It's only, I think it actually went up late last night, but I didn't see it until today, so I haven't had the chance to see it. Um, but I'm not excited about seeing it. I mean, that's, that's worse than five to seven days, if you want to get into that. I, I don't know what happened there either. Um, but yeah, it's just all in all, just something I was very excited to see. I'm less excited about And then, yeah, like I say, the, the big match coming up, I'm, I'm not too excited either. Do you you mentioned the politics there, Joe. Do you think all elites got a hand in it? You, you mentioned to me that uh, you saw some men in suits at that show, and uh, I think Tony Khan actually said on the X Pack podcast he was there too. Uh, do you think you spotted? Yeah,
2: him? I think I'm pretty sure I saw him. I don't know if he was in a suit. There was definitely a couple of blokes around who I'd never seen before in suits, and there was another guy on the balcony who I think was Tony Khan. Now, my theory on this. Now, they got the first VOD up the next day, right? Yeah. What a rapid turnaround. But it's taken almost two weeks to get this one out. I wonder if that's tactical. I wonder if they originally had a finish or a draw, the draw maybe on Pack versus Zack Sabre Jr., and then on the day, something changed or impacted that finish. And I haven't really seen them advertise or talk about the match. I've not. Quilden usually talks about shows that he does. I've not heard him talk about this on his podcast at all. So it feels maybe like they've kind of buried the show and maybe I feel a little bit of embarrassment over it because of the finish mm. and the reaction it got. And maybe it's something they maybe don't want to be- get seen by a wider audience at this point because there is disappointment in that finish and maybe it's not the time to get those potential new subscribers to their on-demand on board. Perhaps that's going to be Pac Osprey, which hopefully will have a more convincing finish. The the ending just seems so fishy and odd to me. Mm. I think one of the things that made me angry as well is they teased a restart. I think we all thought there was going to be a restart and it didn't happen. Yeah. But yeah, I do wonder if there's a tactical approach to the way they've released the idea of this one. Because you'd be thinking if you had Zach Pack hot match, you'd be getting this up the next day as well if you could.
0: Definitely, yeah. That's it, and capitalize on the buzz. And it turned out though there was no buzz at all. I, I mean, for anyone listening, then if, if you know I, again, I haven't had the chance to check out the the VOD yet. But are there other things across those two days? JP, you went to both yep. days, didn't you? That that you would recommend people go out and check out. I mean, obviously, the there's a heavy emphasis on the women's stuff. As yeah,
1: well. which um, the women's tournament really, I think, even though they got Debbie Kytel in to replace Kaylee Ray. It did feel like there was oh, a real. She's nowhere near as good as Kaylee. I know Ray. that's a massive. Downplay. Exactly, it, there was a massive Kaylee Ray shaped hole in the center of this tournament. Mm. There was this kind of like real star that they that they would have in there, and would be able to have, pretty you know, good matches with pretty much most of most of that roster. Instead, it felt very. It was at best decent and there were a couple of matches where it was just bad i don't know i was having various conversations about this i was sat next to um uh dave green who does a a lot of the the match results obviously for for the indie corner as well and i was sat with him and i was and i was thinking like these should be almost sprint like but instead like all of the matches dragged They really dragged and and Sammy Jane is good. And Debbie Keitel, there is definitely something there. I can understand why people are really, really into her. I still think sort of another year or so, and then she'll be in a much better place to be a top contender. But unfortunately, the relative dearth of available women's talent out there has had a massive impact on this. Um, Even when Zoe Lucas was in there, it really wasn't great. Um, You was fine. But from the whole weekend when and Sammy Jane won, she ended up getting like a bunch of flowers and a tiara. And I was like like, what the hell is this? Like it it felt it was that was just like, <laughs> where the hell did that come from? It felt, you know, just weird. And, you know, it's like something from the nineteen from Glow, I would expect that. Like, not really from from Rev Pro. But yeah, there's there were real issues over these two shows. I think in terms of the, the, the good stuff, I'd say on night one, Bodum versus, um, era, um, was a good match. That was the, that was the main event, which in itself felt odd that you have this two day tournament and you, and that's your finish. And that's your main event for night one. Um, and there was a a really fun, what? 10, uh, 10 person tag, Eight eight person tag, on night two that was really good fun and mk mckinnon um who had a really good weekend as well so i've gone all over all over that show really um but
2: i would honestly yeah, felt disappointed aren't
1: worth aren't worth your time like uh, Usually these cockpit shows are a lot of fun.
2: These were, this was, I've never felt so disappointed leaving a cockpit show. It it was probably the least I've ever enjoyed a cockpit show reflection. Mm. That might have also been because I was sat by some absolute morons who I will never be sitting by again, who have one of the, some of the worst collective sense of humour I've ever come across in my fucking life. Like, I've never, uh, Zoe Ucas, Zoe Ucas. Cass. Oh, why well, do you take an L off her name and it becomes UCAS? And that was in a week where I was having to write multiple UCAS references and getting pelters from all quarters regarding UCAS. I was like, oh, I want to come here and I'd be reminded of bloody UCAS. Like, shut up. And oh, I've never known a joke to be repeated so many fucking times. If you're listening, mate. Shut up when you're at shows and watch a match. These people couldn't watch the matches; like they just had to talk what they were seeing and talk their mind throughout a match. Like Zach and Pat did a good job of shutting them up briefly, but my god, the collection of morons around (laughs) us—it was like the wrestling was there as some sort of like background to some piss-up they were on or something. Now you can do that at a lot of shows. Cockpit shows are not those sort of shows. You can hear everything around around the well, around the room, talking about oh, I'd do better chance than you. My chance to get more more response than yours. Shut up, you twat! Like they were like pound shop <laughs> versions of the bloody Ogdens, I tell you. And they weren't even slightly funny.
1: Ah, terrible sense of humour. It kind of uh, unfortunately when you came out. That's when it kind of, for me, it's when it hits. Hit. I never want to
2: see you booked on a show again. Like, the amount of you-based jokes based around her fucking name just exposed the worst <laughs> type of sense of humour you could ever imagine. There was no nuance, no actual wit to this sense of humour. It was just a bunch of fucking idiots just trying to get one another off. And there wasn't really a proper laugh in the house from any of them, to be honest, because their sense of humour was failing.
0: Ah. Oh. <laughs> pound shop ogden's that's a quote that's going in the title it's about as in jokey as it gets isn't it <laughs> that's it that's it that can replace these standards mm. references um, any any kind of uh other thoughts on rove pro um or, Ooh, do we well i was gonna go to, to the to
2: show last friday um but a mixed but i'll be honest the finished to zach pack put me off going um i was a bit like oh, wow. i'm not happy it
0: looked like a great venue it as well. did it looked really mm. good
2: fun and a good good lineup as well for the show apparently it was really good but a mixture of uh that finish and then being ill that week um i just made me think now i can not not this time not this time but yeah a bit god i missed it to be honest but yeah um if pro- if that had a better finish i probably would have gone you know mm. it's amazing what a difference mm. that can make
1: Mm. I mean I I suppose thinking of some of the slightly more positive stuff to take away from the weekend I think the uh the men's undercard is one that's definitely there's a lot of potential there I mentioned about an eight-man tag there but there was some really great interaction between with David Starr on the mic being just absolutely glorious um up again and building up to him and him and phantasmo possibly in a ladder match at higher yeah, that stakes was wasn't it? yeah it felt like that's the direction they're going in and i think that could be great um mk mckinnon i want to say as well he stood out over the over the weekend as well um and chris ridgeway for that matter yeah uh, had a good match with curtis chapman um and they had Michael ok- Oku on there as well, who oh, could. Can... He can bump like a mother. Oh, fan. absolutely. I mean, he would be. He's set up for like some seriously like monster squashes at some point. If you put him in there against Eria, you could have some crazy stuff going on. Even Bodem, that's what I want to. Yeah, say. <laughs> yeah. Well, they had that on night one, and that was uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, Bodem would do some crazy stuff to Oku. I thought you meant Iria. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um. I suppose then uh, if we're going to go to our, our last subject uh, I suppose the, the best question is Joe if you didn't spell, spend that money on the Guilford show are you going to spend it on progress this Sunday well. <laughs> uh, there's a Jody Fleisch and Helico match that's got oh. you all over it uh, do we want to talk about that and talk some <laughs> progress before we go
2: I, you know I saw that match and I, I saw it and of all the people, you give Jody. I like, give him that <laughs> piece of shite. Wait, you know, a piece of shite's art. I bet he's a really nice bloke. Um, sorry, Angelico. Helico, but
0: yeah, I like him for the record. I think he's. Okay.
2: I, I won't be watching that match, and I really like Jody Fleisch. I have got real soft for him, but mm-hmm. Angelico Helico is at the point for me where he's he's on my big show list. He's on my cane list. I just can't <laughs> watch them. I, just the Baron Corbin list, he'd be on there as well. And Helico's a sort of about lanky wrestlers, lanky football players. I'm or all right. Zach's with. lanky. Yeah, but he's not lanky in the same way. He's not like lanky no. and big. He's like 6'1. Mm. Whereas these guys are like just big, aren't they? Let's be honest. They're big and they can't do anything. What can Baron Corbin do? Oh, I know. I know. That's a whole different. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And for me, And Helico's in that realm. He can do a big dive off oh. a big ceiling or whatever. And. <laughs> It gets loads of attention and gifts, but Blimey. I've never seen a good Angelico Helico singles match in my life. I'm bored to tears by the bloke. If I'm honest, so I won't be watching that. But
0: um... maybe it'll get it. Maybe it'll. Uh, it'll... I-, I could see Jody. Maybe dra- I- I'm glad Jody's there. I could see him dragging something out of Angelico. Helico. I'm looking forward to like the other matches they can do with him in progress uh, at some point. That the. Ilya uh, Tim Thatcher match looks uh, interesting Mm. as well on that car going forward. Progress are kind of in, I mean, just to talk generally about them, I mean, we haven't had a chance to talk unboxing at any point. Pretty much a non canon show with the obviously the the big story of uh, Tyler and Pete Mm. uh, leaving the company, but they do seem to be trying to replace people like that with a bit of. I don't, I don't know if I call. you if fresh blood, but you know, new faces and, and different combinations of stuff and having Ilya in a, in a more prominent position and using Tim Thatcher in a prominent position. Hopefully he can uh, steal the progress match of the year in January again, like he did last year with Walter. Um, yeah. What do you make of, uh, the comings and goings in uh, in progress right now?
1: They're in a really, it's an interesting position, isn't it? Because it's like a wholesale turnover of the, of the roster. um, like so with Ginny and and the main event for this, which I couldn't work out why they did that announcement just before they came out. That felt it's really weird. weird. And it just seemed, well, Puff. it just seemed to kind of, I don't know, not kill the match as such, but sort of put this mm-hmm. weird air of doubt in before you want the crowd to pop. Uh,
0: <laughs> Time it, to say goodbye to someone.
2: Uh, they're obsessed with these sentimental goodbye, rubbish progress. They're a, company that's rooted in it think of the end of that brixton show while well, the match is finished mark asses what well, the match let's get three people out to wave to the crowd and one of them <laughs> has already appeared in wwe and has been on nxt quite a lot and he did about five matches in progress oh bye bye see you later mate <laughs> off you go into the sunset it's like the end of only fools and horses in 1996 we have that great sunset <laughs> except this was a, the shittest version of it possible I want to see Mark Askin celebrating with the title after this shite main event not three guys waving again they were prioritising WWE then with the end of that show Mm. um yeah they're obsessed with these sentimental goodbye bollocks aren't they progress and this goodbye has been coming for about two years so it wasn't much of a goodbye really and we can see them on shows around the uk that are wwe branded and you know it's not Mm. much difference in progress these days is there? i thought the match was boring i thought they were holding back i understand why they were holding back as well
0: you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, you know, we talked a lot about Ring of Honor on this show, the Punk and Cabana match at the yeah. chapter When Punk left, but without any of the emotion. Because, like, Punk and Cabana, when Punk was leaving ROH, which, you know, he was in floods of tears, which seems silly considering he was only in the company for three years. But back then, you know, three years meant a lot more. Than oh, I made his career, more. though, didn't but, it? but it did but it was genuine emotional moments and they just went out there and had the technical match for shits and giggles that the that was really for the two of them and not really for the crowd and it did feel like tyler and pete tried to do the same thing but you're right i think with all the stop start nature of them leaving but not leaving and us expecting it for so long and them spinning the wheels for so long for me it didn't have that emotional um like it just didn't have that emotional connection and Again, it came on a show as well where, you know, Marcel Barthel and um, Paul Robinson, both have had goodbyes like that in progress, both on this show, weren't they? Kind not of yeah. what those goodbyes kind of mean. I know there's reasons why, and I'm not complaining that Robbo's back. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but yeah, it just didn't have the potential. We'll Will had a, a, good of a like that, right? hasn't it in progress. True. He had, yeah, he had yeah. a
1: goodbye, didn't he? At the end of the at the end of the hardcore match, there was like this kind of ah. Uh, I can't remember that, but it doesn't surprise
2: me. With this lot. they're obsessed with these bloody goodbyes. But I hate the way Jim Swann frames this stuff as well. Time to say goodbye to someone uh, when someone when someone comes out and cuts a promo, someone's here and he wants to come out and say hello. Fuck off! Like ah, <laughs> oh, just the way he frames it really greats on me it just comes across as too nice and yeah i don't know but this is me making you know silly complaints (laughs) and i'm very tired as usual
0: um (laughs) did you like anything on the unboxing show i I like the swords of essex oh great match
2: loved it felt like a proper big time main event tag match Uh, osprey is just the best and aussie opener a great tag team and I thought this was maybe the best Aussie Open match that I've possibly seen, along maybe with the Suzuki Gun match. This this was awesome. Wouldn't have taken the titles off him, though. A bit of a surprise. I think it's going to be a short run. I think yeah. uh, the Swords will probably lose him this weekend. But Paul Robinson, working through that like a trooper as oh well. Oh, my God. Open. Jesus, he looks all
1: over the place. Did he do that up against... No. um he banged Osprey's head, Yeah, he? he
0: didn't. He banged him in the head, and then he was just... Yeah, it was quite innocuous. Like they were both in the corner; it just happened. Yeah, so you're right. Yeah, that was like my. I really enjoyed the match, but it was kind of hard to enjoy the finishing sequence when Robinson clearly didn't know where he was, and Osprey <sighs> was like directing him to to make the pin and just outright calling spots to him. At one point, it was yeah a bit a bit hard to watch, um, despite the the great stuff that came before it. And fair play that they they still delivered the match like that, considering that injury.
2: Do you know what Will Ospreay's done? Every year at unboxed he's stolen the show. The show has been all about him he's come along and he's mm. the first unboxing was great. The last two years have been very good he's been the highlight of every single unboxing show he's just just the oh sorry he's he's just the best love like, there's no one who can compare to this bloke if you ask me like who can still work on the u k c um yeah i I thought it was maybe my favorite progress match since Wembley actually I was that into it but Tells you what a blow like Osprey can do for me. Um, One thing, uh, point I wanted to make as well sorry to move on from the Osprey match, but Spike Trevay, sort of out, pal. You're in this new faction that you're trying to get over as this like mega heel faction taking over the promotion, and then you're in a six man doing these awful awful shite comedy spots with trainees or ring crew what are you up to protect your character Uh, think about what your approach is here stop going down the route jimmy Avok's down at the moment because you're not at that point you're not down the point where you should be walking around with cans of beer and you know Shaking hands of everyone. Just play the character a bit more. Don't go down this awful comedy route. I thought that Six Man was ruined by that. I also hated the comedy in this Trent Seven Federale's match. Some of this gun shit. Ah, oh, works for the live crowd. I get it, but
3: I put that yeah. shit back on that's, VOD.
1: I ain't got the time for that. That's the issue, really. I mean, that's the thing with a show like Unboxing. It's it's for the live crowd.
0: It is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm
1: not going to deny yeah, that. And we, and we say about it sort of being non-canon in that sense. I mean, Mm. yeah, really, that's what it is. Although... uh,
0: I think comedy matches in general like that, aren't they? Like, I I could imagine... Being honest, I could imagine myself if I was there live. I think I would love that Trent Santos match. Um, It was fine on VOD. I didn't hate it that much. But I do think that's the type of thing that it is. It's for the live crowd, isn't it? Yeah, uh, but I have
1: to say, I mean... One of the things I did come out away from this show sort of being concerned about is the future of the Do Not Resuscitate faction. Like of, I think it's dead. Of already. of where it's of where it's going. There was like I think there's real potential for it to do something, but already hmm. it's sort of booking tropes. Drew Parker death matches, Trevay effectively doing comedy. Did you watch Brooks Eva feeling more like he's a comedy act at this point, yeah. Yeah, so I, did, I didn't waste my time. I, I, I did. I just I, it's a very sort of I'd say saccharine sort of no DQ match, but just it felt like it was there. Okay. Um, not something I was. Yeah. Apart, from, you know, like, I, I thought
0: it was decent. Yeah. I thought it was decent, but I've seen twenty-seven of those matches That's this it. year. So yeah, it wasn't. Don't go out your way to. See oh, I it it. won't be.
1: Yeah. i mean you know when lycos came out and then i have to say he did some you know a couple of mad dives which makes you kind of slightly fearful that hope to god he doesn't get injured hope for himself that he's able to go on a sort of a good clear run but it'd also be nice to see if he can adapt his style a bit to maybe work that just that little bit safer and sort of really build up you know gresham's been in Doing absolutely amazing work with Chris Brooks this year. It's going to be a that's a you know some massive shoes to fill. Ironically, given mm-hmm. the size of Jonathan Gresham.
0: <laughs> it really line. was,
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> Go- going back to the Do Not Resuscitate mm. stuff, have you, have you both seen the Sexsmith promos? Yes, um, that he's been putting out. I don't know if the link to progress or not. Um, I, 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 I heard a rumor that he. He, he's he's going to be doing the character elsewhere and not in progress. Uh could be wrong about mm. that. But genuinely like I, I still don't really want to see Jack Se- Sexsmith wrestle. I feel mean saying that, but I don't think he's ever lived up to the overness that he got at certain points in progress. I just don't think he's good enough. Mm. Genuinely though, like the heel promos have actually been good. Um the original segment where it was a little bit, you know, drama school melodramatic cutting a cutting a promo to the camera and breaking off from... It was creative how they did it. He was doing like an interviewer kept asking him the same questions about being a a gay wrestler over and over again. He snaps and then turns to the camera and cuts a dramatic promo if people haven't seen it. But it was, you know, the content of it, I thought, was very good. And it did make me think, oh yeah, maybe he'd fit directly into this stable. But again, I think the problem, as is the problem with a couple of the guys in that stable, um, not Spike Trevay, but they've also got a wrestle. um, Mm. And I don't know whether... He'd actually, as much as I think the character works as a heel, similar to what's happening with the rest of the guys on that stable, would he actually work in execution if they do, if they are planning on slotting him back into program?
1: Do you know what? I think I'd, if I liked, if you want him to do it anywhere, I'd like to see him do it in Riptide. Because I think, you know, in terms of the way that he's over with that that fan base as well, um, it looked like he'd be a kind of a shoo-in to be in Do Not Resuscitate, really between him and TK Cooper. To you know people whose careers could should have really been you know sort of better at this point to what it is i mean my issue with Sexsmith as a wrestler um is that it's the offense side of it it's a lot of it has been and he sort of built this up himself that he gets sort of beaten up loses cries and then sort of moves on again. I think he's released a T-shirt to that. So really the thing I want to see is what kind of offense there's going to be if that's been developed, because that's, Mm. I think the side of it that's, that really holds him down. We've seen him do matches where he's getting beaten down by a dominant heel. And that was the thing that came really quite repetitive. As over as he was with the crowd, it was the same. It felt like you were seeing the same type of match again and again. And I think this time round, like that's the thing that has to change it, him being the aggressor. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'll, 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 I'll wait to see how he debuts it. I love the promos though. I thought they were really good. Yeah, I
0: think, I think that's it. I think the, I just worry that he's going to be not able to live up to to those promos. Just like I don't think he's been able to live up to, again, his babyface potential. But I guess we'll see as things go. Uh, any other thoughts on progress before we go?
2: Nah, it's all pretty dull with progress at the moment, really, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, a bit of a non-canon show unboxing, but... Yeah, this this show coming up looks interesting enough. Uh, I Again, I am interested in Ilya and Thatcher. Ilya's an interesting one. He got pulled from uh, Defiant last week, didn't he? I think yeah, there's he a
1: lot of stories that he's already signed up, isn't it?
0: Out, seems outright the case, doesn't yeah. it? Um, I also saw, interestingly, uh, Osprey on his uh, Instagram stories. Somebody asked him about doing a match with Jordan Devlin, and he just said no contracts um so it interests me how progress get around him being their tag champion um over the next few shows um yeah certainly a weird little time for for those contract type stuff in in progress and elsewhere
2: i can't wait to watch nina samuels versus laura de mateo on the next vod though i'm sure that'd be great so we've got that to look forward to
0: there you go that's <laughs> <it>. um, <laughs> i suppose that kind of uh brings us to the end of the show though unless you guys have got anything else i don't know if you want to Review your Boise book, Joe, or, or anything like
2: that. I've had, I've <laughs> have you had the chance to, uh, to have a look at it? read about the life of John Chalice, unfortunately, <laughs>
1: but watch this oh. space. I will, I will say, one silly way I, I lost uh, almost, I think, about a good hour this week was listening to, uh, watching the opening credits to The Bill being replayed with oh wrestling music.
0: Chris Wilson's a genius. Like, it's like yeah. it's incredible he did one it's the bill opening have you seen any of it, oh i've seen i think all of them <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're getting linked to all of them basically the boss man one's the best the dx one's good they too. are
2: excellent i've got to say the rock one i was pissing myself oh the one the, with <laughs> the rocks do you smell what the <laughs> rock is cooking that one it's seeing tosh hit that corner
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's just, always
1: felt like that he just looks like he's. It's like you've got. You should have a seatbelt on, mate. But you appear to be kind of losing it in the car. But it works. It's too hard to wear a seatbelt. Gosh, yeah. oh, he doesn't play by anyone's rules. You could tell us about the the life and works of Jeff McQueen. Oh, I'd love to, mate. I'd love to. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, if you haven't seen those, they're, they're great fun. I want to see more of this stuff. It's getting weirder and weirder. The kind of offshoots of this, but I'm completely. You know if stuff is going to go viral, I want to see this sort of stuff go viral.
0: <laughs> it's a meme, I'm well on board yeah. with Yeah, Follow uh, Chris Wilson on Twitter, he writes for the Indie Corn. he does the um, grooms to be grabbed, that's right. He's at, at Kidswall SWOL on Twitter. You will, you will definitely, uh, if you're a fan of this show, you'll, uh, you'll definitely be a fan of some <laughs> of the things you has been putting out on, on Twitter. Um, before we go as well, one other thing that we should probably plug, uh, lads, yeah. uh, people can come and see us live in person allegedly um (laughs) don't know what's happened but uh WXW 16 characters coming up and, you know, we do, we, we like to be co-opted. Uh, they've got a, a as part of the weekend, essentially they're doing uh, a few different things as they always do, you know, the bowling's happening, um, it's actually on the schedule this time, that's going to say a lot but there's also uh, different events that are happening for the fans and they're actually doing a, a podcast event, aren't they, JP, that uh, you can you may actually be able to see some familiar faces Yeah,
1: exactly, we um uh Matthew from Botchmania is going to be on air. Um British Rest Roundtable are going to be on there as well. Um alan Farrell's doing a show. Um and then I think there's a couple of uh I think there's one from Headlock, I think there is. Um, I'm trying to think on one I think Body Slam as well, which might be German podcast. So they'll all be really good and then we're on there. Um
0: apparently, Yeah, apparently. I don't know what you think I did. What are, we, are we just going to tell like a, a confused audience of so German fans like which EastEnders characters the the WXW wrestlers look like? Uh, maybe that's how we could fill our time. <laughs> um, I think. We, I mean, again, the tickets are on sale. I think they're going for about ten pounds. Mm. You Get all of those those podcasts. It's on the Friday at uh, three o'clock. Uh, so it forms part of the the Friday festivities before night one kicks off proper. But yeah, if you're uh, if you happen to be over in Germany, yeah, come and uh, come and say hello anyway. But yeah, you can uh, come and check us out. Uh, are you excited for this show?
2: Uh, I haven't really thought about it. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't yeah, it's not really hit me. Um, but I'm sure I will be as we get closer to the occasion. Um, yeah, come check us out.
0: That's it. We're going to put our heads together and try and uh, put together something that, uh, that people will enjoy. But yeah, it's all still in the uh, the planning stages at the moment. But yeah, just wanted to mention the tickets are on sale and thanks to the uh, the good w- people at WXW for hosting us. Yeah, thank yeah. you indeed. Uh, thank you. Definitely. Uh, you can follow uh, The Indie Corner on Twitter at The Indie Corner. Uh, follow me on Twitter at D. You can follow JP.
1: JP, JP. three E's.
0: And you can go to theindycorner.com and there's a couple of reviews up there at the moment. There's uh, Luke Hickey's got a a Dragon Gate Open the New Year Gate review. Will Cooling's got a piece with five thoughts about Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, Stuart Rogers, the admin of the site, has got something there about all elite wrestling and and his thoughts on that uh, and all the usual stuff is there um, that you can also check out. Uh, That's it. Anyway, for us, for another show, we'll be back very
1: soon. Bye.
0: Sorry, I was just uh, distracted by... Uh, I've just been added on Twitter by Purple Aki. I don't think it's really him <laughs> did, did the legend of Purple Aki make it as far down as you?
1: Oh, God, my, my kids know who he is. We watched the documentaries on the BBC. Gary.
0: Oh, we talked about it, haven't we? Yeah, yeah.
1: It's amazing. Like, there are, there are some people who just go, like, him being called cool, Purple Aki seems incredibly racist. But there's that flow... It's, it's that bloke who died. It's the bloke who died. Though, wasn't he? he's been chased by him, and he ran yeah off that's onto an electrified train. Have you not seen it? No, I've, you've told me about it several
0: times. Oh, I watched it. I've probably bit... told you before, haven't I? I've heard of well, it. Well, like when I was a kid, it always it always sounded like it was an uh, it wasn't real. Like it was an urban legend. Like it was just something you made to make up in school, and then you get older and find out no, it's real and it's front page news in newspapers. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great. Apparently, he's been touching up some guy in Manchester. Oh, yeah, right. he loves
1: muscles.
2: Oh, yeah, you told me about this before. Yeah. He'd love a bit tiny iron.
3: He'd
1: <laughs> <laughs> be all over tiny iron. to the country?